Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. President, uh, Vice President of the United States sat down with Jorge Ramos, and he was talking about uh, his record and your record on it came to deportations and cracking down at the border. And here's uh, what Joe Biden's response was uh, to Jorge Ramos. Let's listen. All the unaccompanied children are coming across the border. We tried to get them out. We kept them safe and get them out of the, the detention centers that are run by Homeland Security and get them into communities as quickly as we can. Many people would say they were cages. I mean... Well, look, I mean, you know you're not telling the truth here about the comparison of the two things. He held up a picture uh, from your era, and it said there was a young boy, and he, the divider there could look like a cage. It was bars. So he was caught by surprise. Would you be when he, if he held that up for you? Well, look, anytime you have a surge in the number of people crossing our southern border, men, women, children, uh, the existing infrastructure can't handle it, and so the solutions are not pretty. And so very often when we'd have a surge of kids, uh, we'd, have to, we'd have to go out and find a very large space like a warehouse, and you have to partition right. uh, the young men from the young women, uh, the kids from the unrelated adults, uh, with chain-link partitions, which some people would call cages. Right. It is not pretty. But there's also, and DHS has a legal obligation to transfer the kids to HHS within 48 hours. But in that 48-hour period, we have to hold them until HHS right. could take them. And that's the same challenge as any administration would have to deal with. Correct. Mr. Secretary. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. This is the 25th of February, year of our Lord, 2020. I went a day early. I got back early from my crack appointment and decided, what the hell, let's knock this pig out. Let's knock this pig out. Plus, Mamacita likes having the TV because I've been binge-watching the shit out of Narcos. I mean, just all the way through it. We rewatched all of Mexico, and then I just started up on season one of the original, and now I'm on season three, halfway done. I still think that's just compelling TV. And I'm going to say something that's blasphemous for a wannabe wop like myself, married to a woman who had a last name of Luca and came from Sicily originally with her immigration. You know, her grandparents and shit. It's better than Sopranos. I said it. Way better. Which, you know, was our intro. Jay Johnson defended it because he's right to defend it. Once again, this is not about fucking ruining little kids and their parents. This is about unaccompanied. People are sending their kids up here with total strangers. If we didn't do it, we'd be wrong. It's a catch-22, but they did it. Biden's lying. The entire establishment's lying. They did it. They fucking did it. They started it. They are the godfathers of kids in cages. Yet our shit, fucking garbage, fucking dumpster fire. Now it's even worse. It's a tire fire. Media just doesn't want to tell the truth because they're so invested in Democrats' policies and getting their TDS gone. I mean, 
if Trump loses, I just what I will cover is an entire show of America is America again because they voted for a socialist. Because it looks like Bernie's in lead. So today we're going to do some hate. We're going to do some uh, media, damn, and news and social media nuggets. Regular in the lineup. Probably going to be over three hours. So I'm going to shut my yapper. We're going to go straight into hate. And you're going to hear what the media is doing a lot of lately. This is an MSNBC plant panel hoping for a world financial crisis so a Democrat will get elected. That's how bad they are. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right, up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. Look at the stock market. Look at corporate America. Yes, we have got a bifurcated economy and there are a lot of people saying I'm suffering. But as far as the winning economy that the president needs from now until November, do you really see that changing? Well, I'll give you two examples. 2008, at this time, nobody thought we would have a global financial crisis oh, right on our shores. And that's the thing that really sunk John McCain's candidacy then. Think about 2018. You know what happened in Q4 2018? The stock market fell 20%. You know what also happened? The Dems took back the House that in that period. So, you know, these are messages. I think those lenses are really important to think about it politically, economically, in the stock market. They're all related. Nobody can tell you what's going to happen, you know, in October or November of this year, but they all pose risks for this administration because the stock market at all time highs is backward looking. It's not forward looking. And so if the stock market were to tumble this year, if we don't get near the 3% GDP growth that this administration has been talking about for years, these are all things that Dems can run on and they pose a problem. That's some sick fucking shit right there. To our leadoff article that the media just fucking ignored, and you can guarantee if it was an HRC sticker, if it was a uh, Biden sticker, if it was the deer one, oh my God in heaven. Mm. We've been watching this every night for a week. Indiana couple drove boys with Trump flag off the road. Northwestern Indiana couple allegedly used a car to force two teenage boys off the road, angered that the twin brothers were riding bicycles adorned with flags supporting Trump. It was a bike. Hobart Police's Snapchat video helped officers secure charges against Karen Gregory Perry Jones, if you got a hyphen name, you're douchebag 23, and Kaylin Marie Smith 18 in connection with July 22nd incident. Uh, Police Captain James Gonzalez said Hobart couple are accused of driving the car, running their 14-year-old boys off the road and making threats towards them. According to a probable cause affidavit, the boys told officers that a vehicle with a man driving a woman passenger followed them before the male driver pulled up nearby and asked one of them if they were Trump supporters, to which the boys replied that they were. The driver then swerved at the boys, forced them on the roadside grass to avoid being struck. According to the affidavit, the driver followed the boys before exiting the car and tearing off the flags from one of the brothers' bikes, an affidavit said. The drivers dropped the flag, which was affixed to the bike with a fishing pole, ran back to his car, drove off, but not before running the flags over. African-American, white girl, Later on in the video, the driver turns a little sharply as if he, if he saw the boys and wanted to hit them with the vehicle, yelling, y'all better get home. Pull that flag down. Yeah. yeah 
that's that's kind of stuff. Then we literally have Sonia my Sotomayor. She did a uh, speaking this week. Just accused of Supreme Court conservative bias towards the Trump administration. Trump's, Trump's wealth test marks a brazen attempt to limit legal immigration by forcing immigrants to prove their financial status to enter or remain in the United States. It goes far beyond any statute passed by Congress, forcing immigrants to demonstrate that they will not be a public charge. That is, they won't rely on the public assistance. She goes on and on about it and how it's totally horrible. And here's the reality. Why shouldn't we? If California wants to succeed succeed, do it. Become your own country. And then you can spend all the money you want on people because you want them to vote for you. Like we played in previous podcasts about we're not going to work with ICE. But why should we as Americans pay for everybody else? Why? Why should we do that? Nobody does that. And then, well, here's fucking Katie Hill. Why did you feel it necessary to step down? We see so many people who, mm-hmm. who do things and wait it out, yeah. particularly now, right? Look, you, you were accused, your husband also accused you of um, having an affair with a congressional staffer. You've denied that, but that's against House rules, and there was an ethics investigation opened up. Mm-hmm. What has happened with that ethics investigation, and is that the ethics investigation what led you to resign? Or No, no, the... So the ethics investigation, it's funny, there's, there's such slow processes, there's, but it's incredibly invasive to my staff and to, you know, my entire office and was... So the ethics investigation continues even after you're... No, when you leave, it stops. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not something, that was not why I resigned, it's also something that I'm glad I was able to take the pressure off of my staff by resigning so that they didn't have to worry about that. But, uh, but you know, the, why did I decide to step down? It was my, I realized the impact that I was having on my colleagues. Um, I did not want to be a distraction during the time that we were coming up on the, the impeachment inquiry vote. Uh, I didn't want to be used as a tool against my fellow freshmen who were coming from these swing districts. Um, already, you know, there were trackers who were plopped out in front of Capitol Hill, and they were asking my fellow freshmen, many of whom I consider friends and who have tough races, you know, what do you think about Katie Hill? What, you know, are you going to condemn her? Are you going to ask her to step down? And, yeah. and they don't want to be put in that situation. It's and, interesting, though, that Nancy Pelosi told you not to step down. Yeah, yeah. And she usually knows what she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she's, Was she afraid of losing a seat, I guess, right? Uh, I don't know. I think she... More of the senior members who have seen scandal after scandal after scandal that have not resulted in resignations. There have been far fewer women who have yeah. been involved in the scandals, just, just because there's far fewer women that have been in office. Right. Um, but they, they have usually taken the stance until recently that you, uh, that you write it out and the voters decide. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what the other side would do, I think. Right. But typically, that's what they do. do. Yeah. yeah. You recently said you didn't think this story would blow up as much if you weren't bisexual. Um, do you think that there was just more titillation because there was like another woman involved? And I don't know. The only LGBTQ um, politician I can think of is my senator, Kristen Cinema. Yeah. So is it just you think because you were with a woman? They're carting her around like she's a fucking dignitary. I had a Matt Getz one. He went on there and handled himself quite well, but. 
They didn't want to talk about this. FBI arrest hacker linked to Katie Hill campaign. Katie Hill's 2018 primary, two of her Democratic opponents were hacked. The FBI is in- investigating and just arrested someone linked to her campaign. Arthur Dam, arrested by the FBI, listed a $500 in-kind contra- contribution to Hill. There's other stuff in there that looks like she is, you know, she's fucked. Not only did she harass somebody, it was a female, have fucking online porn, but she's linked to hacking, yet she gets on The View. Our next one I found today, uh, this is peak TDS. And, and David, one of the things that's so interesting and I think sinister about this stuff is that it really does have the impact of trying to increase cynicism and apathy, that that's part of its goal, to sort of muddy the waters. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about your insights into that. Well, it has, it has an effect also on people's affirmative ideas. One of the things that Donald Trump tried to spend, spread in 2016 was the idea that Hillary Clinton was somehow physically incapable of managing the presidency. I mean, it's audacious. Donald Trump was the oldest. Uh, president ever, one of the fattest presidents ever, the least physically capable president since uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was in a wheelchair. I mean, he can't pick up a ball, never mind throw it. Um, but he was able to put into the minds of tens of millions of people the idea that Hillary Clinton, who's a very vigorous woman in good health, was somehow too sick to be president. Right. One of many examples. We've certainly seen a lot around impeachment as well. And this, folks, is one of the fattest presidents ever. That's that's proper things to do about the president. Because remember, it's okay to disrespect the offices of the president when he's a Republican. But if 2020 doesn't turn out right, it's going to be, oh, how dare you speak of the president of the United States that way? Time, CNN, almost every network, I'm not going to go depth on this, India's Prime Minister Narad Modi says namaste Trump with massive rally for the U.S. president. It was gigantic, but all the articles were about what's he going to eat. Whose diet is often a rotation of steaks, burgers, and meatloaf faces a potential shock as he prepares to travel to India, where Hindus are the majority and cows are revered and sacred. Yeah. that That's what they're running with. It's like the... Japanese koi fish shit all over again. And literally, this is just a two-second Google search. Because you don't know anybody Indian. I do. Not all of them are vegan, and a lot of them eat the living fuck out of beef. Seen it. Then we have this shit. Democrat Mark Johnston is running in North Carolina District 17. He has considered himself a resistance badass. Anyway, Johnson took it upon himself to put up a poll asking if Trump supporters should be fired from any federal job after Trump is out of office. He added they would know who these people are from their social media post. Talk about the fascism. Not proposing policy, just seeing where people are on this. In 2021, after Trump is gone, we will be able to tell who 90% of his supporters are via social media records. Should we fire all of them from any federal job to include the military in order to protect our nation? That's what he said. Brandon Tatum. The most disturbing, disgusting tweet I have ever seen from someone running for office. You guessed it, a Democrat. Look at this mess. Make sure you go on and respectfully comment on his campaign video linked below. Wow. That's kind of what they want to punish Trump supporters. 
Republicans are cheering as Trump and the GOP destroy Republican a favorite dictatorship. But if you're not a millionaire, you'll be a victim. Check your bank balances to see. Oh, and FYI, they will take your guns. That is straight out of the fascist 101 fucking handbook. This, this is the kind of crazy bonker shit he did. But seriously, folks, who's the fucking fascist? Then you got this one. Monica Morales, day two, no running water. Hunter and his family and three buildings still don't have running water at the Taft House in East Harlem. A water main break caused nine buildings, 3,000 people lost water. Um, but make America great again, right? New York Times editorial board member Mara Gay, she blames Trump. Responses, New York Times editor thinks the federal government controls water. Yes, Harlem, not having water is definitely Trump's fault. Stephen Miller, pretty sure the President of the United States isn't the mayor or governor of New York. That's how bad TDS fucking is. I mean, sweet God. What the fuck? Then we have the Khomeini, and remember, these are the people that the left cling to. We are against the rule of oppression and arrogance. This is what we mean by America today. The peak of arrogance in the U.S., which is controlled by the wealthy Zionist and Jewish corporate owners. The U.S. is a manifestation of oppression. Thus, they're abhorred by the world. Waji Ali. My father is an immigrant from Pakistan who came to this country 50 years ago. He's not alarmist. This is the first time he has repeatedly asked, where's the escape plan for his brown Muslim grandchildren? Where can they go and be safe? It's sobering that he's thinking this. This is what these people think. He's a fucking journalist. Because they're not in control. They think this stuff. So, we go into our next section, which is pardon. I'm just going to start it with Erica Jong. Has Trump pardoned Hitler? Yeah. And then the media. Jason, a miscarriage of justice. Let's talk about a president who has, um, who has pardoned war criminals that shot mm-hmm. little girls, pardoned war criminals that killed uh, defenseless prisoners uh and then yesterday of course uh pardoned uh wall street uh convicts uh pardoned uh politicians who acted in the sleaziest of ways Uh, i mean this is i mean you can like my old torts professor used to say at university of florida you can see this one coming like a freight train out of the mist this is donald trump numbing everybody to the future pardons of his co-conspirators, Roger Stone and Paul Manafort, and maybe even Michael Flynn. Oh, yeah, Joe. And, and, and here's the thing. He's always been this guy. It's not new. You can go back to Joe Arpaio. Joe Arpaio, who was basically racially profiling any brown person in Arizona, and, and, and President Trump came in and said, okay, you're perfectly fine with this. And, and I think you, you can't stress enough about basically pardoning a war criminal. You look at what Gallagher did 
you know, stabbing prisoners with a knife. His own SEAL Team 6 said, this man is crazy. They said he'll kill anything. His fellow soldiers turned him in. And obviously, Donald Trump is smarter than the generals and the soldiers because he pardoned him anyway. So what we're seeing here is what proto-dictators do. What we're seeing here is what autocrats do, where they basically say to the entire public and to fellow politicians, number one, the law is always bent to my will. It's not about what you did. It's not about the laws you break. It's not about the people that you harm. It's about whether or not I think you're important, whether or not you're loyal to me. And if I like you, then I don't care what the law says. So this is the dangerous part. And it's not just the norm breaking, but it makes it difficult for our Justice Department to do their job. Look. Entre los dos nombres revelados hoy, los que tal vez más interés han generado, vamos a comenzar con Oscar López Rivera de Puerto Rico. Fue... Eh, buscado desde 1976 por un atentado terrorista en Nueva York en el que murieron cuatro personas y 60 murieron heridos. Después, la decisión del presidente Obama reduce las condenas que tenía de 70 años de cárcel. Se acortan siete años la condena. El presidente Trump viaja a California, pero antes de abordar el avión presidencial, anunció el indulto y conmutación de pena a 11 personas, incluidos allegados de su abogado personal, Rudy Julia. En total, Juan Carlos, siete indultos, cuatro conmutaciones de pena. Esto es una práctica que normalmente los presidentes deciden dejar ya para el final de sus presidencias, precisamente porque son controversiales y porque los presidentes pues, simplemente no les gusta responder sobre estas decisiones que toman eh, de, tan polémicas. Lo que pasa con el presidente es que él sí le tomó el gusto a este poder presidencial desde muy temprano y de ahí en adelante siguió eh, con la idea de adelantar todos estos perdones e indultos. Así que esta vez lo hace en plena campaña presidencial, Juan Carlos. Y acá llama la atención que el rechazo al indulto concedido a Blagojevich fue de demócratas y republicanos. Pero... Just garbage. New York Times, double standard. Trump clemency spree versus Obama's... Mercy. He let fucking killers of cops go. Seriously. The guy who wrote it, Eric Lipton, a moment that live in history and deserve to be remembered, President Trump is now both the executive judicial branch, Rod Blagovich, Michael Milken, uh, Michelle, Michael Milken, Bernard Carrick, and others. They must be combined decades worth of labor by DOJ prosecutors to build the evidence, file the charges, and secure convictions in these cases. Blah, blah, blah. Steph, you wrote about it totally different in 2014. Big day for executive action, DOJ just now. President Obama grants commutations of pardons, clemency to 28 commutations and 12 pardons. Molly Hemingway, good example how media treat presidential actions taken by Trump differently than they treat actions taken by his predecessor. A man they worship. The Trump derangement causes a dramatic loss of knowledge and pardons. Commutations are an executive action. Article 2, Section 2 grants the president this right. He has this right. And there's a whole articles online. Not going to waste your time with it. It's all fucking bullshit. Just bullshit. I mean, good fucking God. Then we have this one. Brandy Zarvosky has a piece Wednesday about the Bugaloo, a group that says it wants a second civil war against liberals. Uh, Zarvosky bases much of her research on a new report by Network Cont 
Contagion Research Institute, an independent nonprofit of scientists and engineers that track and report on misinformation and hate speech across country. The NCRI says Boogaloo movement has moved on to social media spaces. Says so 4chan. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Her tweets new. The Bugaloo, an anti-government movement that advocates for second civil war against political opponents and law enforcement, is openly organized and recruiting on Facebook. Hate trackers and NCRI and analyze 100 million social media posts and comments have found the memes, inside jokes, using violent text and images, being weaponized to spread messages and share instructions for weapons like explosives, 3D, guns, etc. I'm not going to go in depth to it. She got dogged because she didn't call them white supremacists. And the reason why I'm covering it, where's the one on Antifa, NCRI? Where are you at on that one? They are so fucking violent and their posts are totally hateful. We just played one. That doesn't rate? Are you serious? But some group nobody fucking heard of, we got front page stories. Our next... The Russian collusion narrative didn't go the Democrats' way, nor did ensuring Mueller report or attempt to have Trump removed from office for Ukraine. But Maxine Water isn't letting her frustration get to her. Just kidding. Here's her tweet. It's not enough for Barr to resign. I want him out of the OJ, disbarred, disgraced, and investigated for obstruction of justice. Barr sabotaged Mueller report, was in on Ukraine plot, and now he wants to free Trump's criminal friends. In my estimation, they all belong in jail. Everybody's response this is absolute bat shit insane and it is but molly hemingway had the tweet of the day on this silliest part of the latest russian nonsense is that precisely no one thinks russia or putin are afraid of democrats because the new thing is there's a report that he's trying to help trump and bernie sanders that's their new thing because everything's bots that, that's how we do this thing everything is bots Nick Corsensi, Sanders on his online army support, 99.9% of them are decent human beings. And if there are a few people who make ugly remarks who attack trade union leaders, I disown those people. They're not part of our movement. Sanders says of his supporters, there's a few people who make ugly remarks. He added that black women on his campaign are being subject to the most racist attacks. But Sanders isn't waiting to talk more about his supporters being accused of being more vicious than most. Sanders defends his supporters, saying he disowns those who make ugly remarks. Buttleg keeps at the issue of Sanders supporters, looks at Sanders as it talks about toxic environment in campaign. Megan McCain, who got attacked for this. Bernie, your army of Bernie bros are the worst in all the internet, and every woman on both sides knows it. Misogynistic, abusive, inspired by you. There's no army of Pete bots or Biden bots abusing women. And the vicious and ugliness on this internet, Bernie, now there's an ambitious goal. But maybe these nasty Bernie bros are Russian agents, he then suggested. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. Sure did. Next one, Jessica Chasmar, James Clyburn, writes Trump's job numbers. We were fully employed during slavery. That's what he said. Slavery. But we're not employed now. Yeah. Yeah. So here's some bullshit that I heard of on uh, CNN. Let's do a couple because I think they're pretty fucking hateful. Um, Let me see. Here's a CNN hypes Bloomberg camp's deceptive claim of a child being attacked by games. 
And then memes are driving voter suppression, they're saying. But as we'll see later in the Dem section, that's Bloomberg, you dipshits. For the very first time, voters will see a new face on the 2020 Democratic debate stage tonight. Billionaire Mike Bloomberg. He will be going head to head with those who have criticized him for trying to buy his way into the White House. So Bloomberg has spent hundreds of millions of dollars on campaign ads, uh, far more than any of his rivals. And my next guest appears in one of Bloomberg's most expensive ads, which aired during this past Super Bowl. And she is endorsing him for an extremely personal reason. George started playing football when he was four years old. Can you just tell me a little bit about George and and how you feel his death could have been prevented? Uh, My son, George Kemp, was my only son, and he was just a special child. George um, not only loved football, but George loved his horses, and George loved to help his friends become who they could be. He was always been a mentor to someone, and just to um, know that my son, George Kemp's life was taken by a gun is very hard, but I believe that his life could have been, um, this could have been prevented by um, not having young adults having the access to guns. In the wake of George's death and you being active in Moms Demand Action, then play it forward for me. How did you first meet Mike Bloomberg? While Bloomberg's plan will reinstate the federal ban on assault weapons, current assault weapons owners will be allowed to keep their guns, but will have to report them to federal officials. Do you think, Mm -hmm. do you think... Taylor, I want to shift to you because you've had a series of fascinating columns and articles now at the New York Times about the meme wars. And this, for folks who don't know, is the new, new thing that's going to be really driving a lot of narratives and conversation and voter suppression efforts to some extent Mm -hmm. in this upcoming election. For folks who don't know, explain to them what a meme is. Sure. A meme is essentially just a short piece of content, um, you know, aimed at communicating a simple message. So you can make, it can be a short video. It's often a short piece of text and an image, almost like a political cartoon and is, is how is it weaponized to achieve a political end and what are those political ends that we've seen in yeah. recent months well memes use humor to introduce new ideas and often these ideas can be very insidious and problematic um, memes in 2016 were used throughout Facebook and Instagram to spread misinformation so you know basically Russian interference um, memes are also usually hyperpartisan so what gets shared the most on Facebook and Instagram are these you know very very far left very far right memes promoting misinformation and, and David one of the things that's so interesting and I think sinister about this stuff is that it really does have the impact of trying to increase cynicism and apathy, that that's part of its goal, to sort of muddy the waters. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about your insights into that. Well, it has it has an effect also on people's affirmative ideas. One of the things mm-hmm. that Donald Trump tried to spend, spread in 2016 was the idea that Hillary Clinton was somehow physically incapable of managing the presidency. I mean, it's mm-hmm. audacious. Donald Trump was the oldest uh, president ever, one of the fattest presidents ever, the least physically capable president since uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was in a wheelchair. I mean, he can't pick up a ball, never mind throw it. Um, but he was able to put into the minds of tens of millions of people the idea that Hillary Clinton, who's a very vigorous woman in good health, was somehow too sick to be president. Right. One of many examples we've certainly seen a lot around impeachment as well. And this, folks, is. Our next is a lady, I believe it's a lady, Dem. Walk away. This is my first rally, Democrat. Where is the where where are the rich that everybody talks about? Where are the races everybody talks about? I'm comfortable here. 
doesn't exist. Care about America. There's a whole lot of luck there. Yeah. What would you say to the president? He's flying back. What would you say to the president? I support everything you do. I am Latino, Paso, Texas. Build that wall. Stop letting so many illegals in. Just come in through that border, and you're doing a good thing with that wall. If are from El Paso, we support you. We are hundred picking, and we're proud to be American. I crossed sound bites. For that, I apologize. That was a gentleman, Democrat, went to Trump rally and walked away. Now's the female. This lady, this is pretty surprising. This went viral. I'm coming out. I'm leaving the left. LGBT woman advocate, advocate Ariel Scarkelli speaks out against ridiculously woke cult. And it goes a little something like this. I'm not one of them. Hi, I'm Arielle. I'm a lesbian. And I don't think gender is a social construct. I don't think cis, straight, white men are evil. I don't believe that genital preferences are transphobic or that there are 97 genders. I don't think that male sex offenders belong in women's prisons. I don't think it's normal for people to be praised for walking around with shirts that say kill turfs. I don't think like these people. And I no longer want to be associated with them. I've reached peak LGBT. This is my coming out video. Never in my life have I been more canceled, tortured, tormented, harassed than by members of my own community. Never have I witnessed literal mentally ill individuals who are latching themselves onto the LGBT community without actually being LGBT for the sake of oppression points, external validation, and sympathy. Never have I seen such disrespect from younger LGBT people to the older lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender advocates who have been paving the way for us for longer than we've all been alive. Never have I seen people that use the word bigot so frequently and not see the hypocrisy and irony in themselves saying it. Some of you have noticed this change coming onto my channel within the past two years as I've gotten what some people would say more conservative and yeah I have haven't I since the queer movement right now is obsessed with all these different labels and I am a fan of labels I wanted to share a new label of mine with you I'm coming out I am officially leaving the left when it's gotten to the point where I can no longer even list LGBT or women empowerment in my Instagram and Twitter bios without people thinking I'm part of this ridiculously woke cult, when we have rules and a pecking order of who is able to speak and for how long, even about their own bodies and experiences, when we have children drag queens and think it's okay for them to perform sexually for adults, when we praise news stories like this that make absolutely no sense and do nothing for our movement or for people understanding us, when this person is praised by LGBT organizations and deemed a speaker for lesbians and People say that straight black men are the white men of black people, and I know what they mean. I no longer wish to be a part of this. The LGBT community has become a safe haven for the mentally unstable who are not seeking help and who also aren't in any sense of the word queer. We've become so obsessed with validating everybody. How did we not see this coming? This community has become so ridiculously intolerant while preaching love that for the first time in a decade, LGBT acceptance is down. Anyone who goes against the grain and thinks... I say it all the time on the show. Every homosexual I ever knew is not what the liberals are. There's mafia members, sure, but most of the mafia are woke white people trying to virtue signal. Here's are some responses. We didn't leave the left. They left us, I believe, almost identically to how I did 10 years ago. Back then, that made me a progressive. Now it makes me a bigot. I never walked away from the left. They redefined their platform and left all but the most compliant. Mr. Impossible, the progressive overlook 
her because she's vanilla by comparison to what they deem worthy. But she's intelligent, well-spoken, and enjoy her chat with Tim Pool. Really opened my eyes. Gina Fonseca. Never thought I'd ever find myself having to defend lesbian women and their right against attack from their own side. But here we are. I just don't understand the level of sheer lunacy and irrationality that's taken over. Renee. Thank you so much for this video. I used to be on the left, but when I was being bullied, and this is a tranny, harassed and victim blamed by them. I also being called ableist, even though I was disabled. I work in a group group home and go to rallies for disability rights. Yasmin Mohammed, a, a man, I feel your frustration so viscerally. We have to turn this ship around before all the same people get off and only the crazies are left. Yeah. That's, that's pretty fucking bad. So, we're going to have um, a soundbite. It's going to be a woman talking about losing a family member due to illegals. And then we're going to go into our first break, which is media damn freakout. I do want to put it in our media section. Uh, we're doing uh, media next, but this one is just a nice, long... Crazy freak out because Sanders and shit. We'll bump in to the media section, and it just sums up our media right now. It is actually a millennial journalist talking about voting for Obama was love. Yeah, it was an act of love. So, illegal murder of a family member to a soundbite on the media freaking out about Bernie. You'll hear my bumper. And that'll segue into Obama love. An emotional speech by the granddaughter of Maria Fuertes, the 92-year-old woman who was killed last month by an illegal immigrant. The family is speaking out, blaming New York City's sanctuary policies for her tragic death. She is a shining example of when people come legally to this country. The tragedy in all of this is the fact that this could have been avoided had there been no sanctuary law. The system not only failed our family, but it failed our city. Maria Fortes' granddaughter, Daria Ortiz, joins us. What message would you like to send to Bill de Blasio? My message to him is I'm not against immigration, just illegal immigration. Um, I think he should do something about this because this could have been avoided had there no had there not been a sanctuary law, um, this man would have been deported a long time ago. And my grandma would still be here today. We saw from the Los Angeles mayor uh, that he basically says that the sanctuary cities protect the immigrant community and that by not having sanctuary cities, it would make the community less safe because immigrants would be more afraid to report crimes. Do you agree? I think uh, it's not um, a yes or really no answer. I think it's it's good for them to feel safe, but since this is America, America's priority should be to keeping the citizens safe first. So they can't make illegal immigrants feel safe and at the same time make their own citizens feel unsafe. Because what happens is with the sanctuary law, these immigrants are allowed to stay here even after they've committed an offense, a crime. Like in this situation, this case with my grandmother, this man uh, three months prior had attacked his own father and he was released because uh, 
ICE sent the detainer request to the NYPD, which they denied, which legally they, they had the right to because of Mayor de Blasio passing the sanctuary law. So had that not been in place, then they would have been able to detain him. So in essence, it's almost as if the police are not even allowed to do their jobs. Americans should be safe and they should, if, if people want to come here because they're fearful of their countries, they can't now come to our country and make us fearful mm. also. So yeah. they have to find a better way. I'm not against immigration, but illegal immigration is what the problem is. By the way, the happiest person right about 115 line, this thing is going very well for Vladimir Putin. He, he, he's probably staying up watching. How you doing, Vlad? <laughs> so James is reporting that that's exactly what the intelligence agencies think is going on. This campaign was briefed that Putin um, plans to help him right. in the primary. Amazing. I think Sanders wants Putin to help reason. Think, why would Vladimir Putin be to Sanders? Of course, because he wants to win. I mean, it's a straight line. I don't think that, that the Sanders campaign and his uh, collusion or collaborate. I think they don't like this story, but it's that. And the reason that the story is a fact, Putin is doing everything that he can to help, including trying to get Bernie Sanders to Democratic. If you remember when Bernie ran in 16, his chief strategist was old Manafort's sidekick in the Ukraine. I, I mean, this, this, this didn't start right now. And it's something that people need, they need to be made aware of it. The candidate stage in South Carolina on, on Monday night need to quit attacking each other and about where where this country is and how do you push it forward under real choices that Democrats have to make. I thought it was a great night for Bernie Sanders. I thought it was a great night for Donald Trump. I thought it was a terrible night for the Democrats. And I don't think uh, Bloomberg's bad night is going to matter, uh, given the amount of money he's spending on the ground, given the fact that a lot of voters uh, who are going to matter later are not really watching debates. They have his presence on Facebook and on the ground. Anecdotally, I cannot believe what I'm hearing about the money he's spending in all the right places with food and other things, meetings, not just those digital ads on social media. So I think he will still be um, in very strong stead uh, throughout the very consequential month of March. Tonight was the night to knock down Bernie, and the Democrats didn't do it. Pete Buttigieg tried a few minutes. Uh, but not effectively enough. Jason, it's going to be argued capitalism didn't have a great outing tonight. Yeah, apparently, apparently, but Bernie's still a millionaire. You know, isn't it amazing America's biggest socialist is a millionaire? But what was shown tonight is some of his weaknesses in communicating his message, which we've seen before, uh, his inability to do anything other than gaslight America about some of the behavior of his own supporters when it comes to unions and organizations that don't fall in line with what he wants. The supporters is a real issue, and I'm surprised that nobody brought up the fact that some of the issues are on his staff. They're not just, they're, they're, they're people that are, we just saw his national press secretary go out on television and say that it's birtherism to ask about his health records. Like, this is not just, a, 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 you know, a, a sort of anonymous supporters from, you know, Vladivostok that are doing it. It's a thing, right? Out of I'm wondering whether the, the, the Democratic moderates want Bernie Sanders to be president. I mean, that's maybe a, a too exciting a question to raise. They don't like Trump at all. Do they want Bernie Sanders to take over the Democratic Party in perpetuity? Well, I mean, he takes it over. He sets the direction for the future of the party. Maybe they'd rather wait four years and put it in a Democrat that they like. I think that the rest of us that sort of look at politics have underestimated the sheer unadulterated rage 
the anger of working class people, especially young people who are living in with three uh, roommates and have a Lyft job and an Uber job and they can't make it and they're looking at my generation, Gen X, who we could have it all in the Clinton years and we were living well and our parents and grandparents and they're like, throw the tables over. They're turning the tables over and they don't care what the potential result is. They're the hungriest. And he only had to consolidate them. And the moderates, the sort of mushy moderates, think that they have the luxury of luxuriating on whether they'll have someone who can speak six languages. And, you know, maybe today I want this one who's from the Midwest. And, you know, maybe I'll go with the vice president. And even African-American older voters, they are like, we're going to go with who we know. No one else is as hungry, angry, enraged, and determined as Sanders voters. Democrats need to sober up and figure out what the hell they're going to do about that. Because if he's the nominee, that's the top of your ticket. That's the top of your ticket for Senate races, House races, gubernatorial, everything. He got nowhere near. Bernie, on the other hand, did his job. He got more than a majority, more than a majority of that 67%. That is the name of the game. It is pretty much over unless that changes. I was reading last night, Brian. I know you're a history guy, too. I'm reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940. And the general, Renault, calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill says, how can it be? you got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. So I had that suppressed feeling. I can't be as wild as Carville, but he is damn smart. And I think he's damn right on this. I'm not a Democrat, so I'm liberated to jump all over the Democratic oh, Party. They've waited way too long to get on the Stop Bernie train or whatever John Hellman was describing. The idea that someone who is a non-Democrat who officially didn't really win Iowa, according to the recanvas numbers, can come in here without his medical records and call himself the front runner and continue to dodge all of this stuff while the entire party and all the candidates turn their fire on Mike Bloomberg and give this guy, this avowed socialist who's going to get slaughtered in the general election, a free pass tonight in this debate while everyone freaks out about Mike's billions and his ads and his NDAs would be a fatal mistake for this party. I am sure they're going to make it, but I think the candidates will really fail and they will elect Bernie Sanders, they will nominate him, and then they will give President Trump not only a second term, but a huge mandate. About 10 months out from the election, uh, what the Democratic Party has produced is a 78-year-old socialist from Vermont who is picking up steam and is going to be an unstoppable force before very much longer on the way to the nomination. He wants to take away private health insurance from 150 million people. Go tell those union workers in Michigan and Pennsylvania, those union men and women, that they're going to lose their private health insurance. It is a death sentence for the party and it will lead to Donald Trump's re-election in, in my view. So when you look down the road, what I think is driving all the dynamics of this debate tonight is that people, whether you like this or not, are starting to imagine a months-long battle between Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg. And that would be the ultimate. I mean, can you imagine a more contentious fight than, than a Democratic Socialist on one side no. and the ultimate plutocrat on the other side? Both of them with basically unlimited resources slugging it out uh. from now until June. How does that look to you in the Democratic Party? And can you even put the party back together if that's what this fight evolves into over the course of the next three or four? You said something yesterday. You said, oh, my God, there's a mountain of oppo on Bernie Sanders. Do you believe this primary campaign would be better served for the eventual nominee 
if everybody unloaded everything they got on each other and you see who came out? Or do you think it's better to not attack each other and somehow hope that unity prevails on the Democratic side and that this oppo doesn't stick in the fall? Are you at all concerned, There's some, whether it's tonight or over the next couple of weeks, that this is going to get super nasty? Sanders, Biden, Blue, you know, that this, that, that, that it's getting late early. I mean, Super Tuesday is a national primary. Um, do you think it's better for the party to get all this out now or oh, pull some punches? This race is going gonna, is gonna to get probably a little bit heated, and it's going to get heated quickly. There's going to be all this hand-wringing. Is it good or bad for the party? Do you have these... Do you put all your dirty laundry out now, or do you hope that Trump doesn't use it later type of thing? Is it healthier for the party to just hash it all out with everybody's dirty laundry now, or do you think some punches should be pulled? Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reed. Why doesn't our generation vote in large numbers? It's a great question. I think that it's because, first of all, millennial turnout did double in the 2018 midterms from 2014. So it's certainly going in the right direction. But one reason is that Barack Obama was such a transformative figure for people, and he was, for many people our age, their first president that they really got behind. And he made voting into an act of love. So I don't think that millennials think of voting as their duty. They think of it as something that they only do for somebody that they really care about and really believe in. And that makes it really hard for somebody like a Michael Bloomberg or a Joe Biden to attract millennial voters. Yes, it was love when you voted. There's so much love. The funny thing about the Bernie is, this is Bernie, well, this is the media on Bernie in 2016. But... Uh, the younger voter, uh, when you poll them on this word socialism, it is not a bad word. And the polls always used to return socialism as just about the worst word that you could associate with anyone. Well, you know, that's the effect of a kind of national culture, of propaganda, of jingoism, of yes. flag waving. But if you think about what socialism has meant, and especially what democratic socialism has meant, it means simply that there should be democratic control over the main functions of the economy. And that could happen in a variety of ways. It could be done by giving government uh, re larger responsibilities for production and distribution. It could be done by having worker self-management. Mm -hmm. There are any number of ways in which we could democratize the economy. I happen to believe we desperately need to do that, however. And so does Bernie Sanders. But, you know, not in radical ways. He's not proposing to take over anything. He's just proposing to redistribute the concentrated wealth that we've been producing in this society to make sure that everybody, young people have jobs, to make sure that uh, people working have uh, medical leave, that they can spend some time with their children to make sure that they have health care. Mm -hmm. you know, these are minimal things in rich industrial countries everywhere except the United did, States. Did, did. You know, 
for those that are new to the show, because I see there's new listens and new listeners, it's all started because of my hate of the media. And byproduct of that was my con- condemning the Dems because they were always supportive of the media. I do dislike the progressive virtue signaling, and I can't stand how they side with our enemies. I mean, progressives invariably do. Um, I registered Republican just because the Democrats were not supporting the war on terror for shit. They were talking about quagmires when I was there, like month two in Afghanistan one. And the moment we did find WMD, something they purported for the entire eight years of Clinton, they used everything. They called fucking soldiers murderers. They withheld funding. It was a hot goddamn mess. So when I went in to register in 2004 on a break from California, <clears throat> I registered Republican. Not that I am. This, it, it's, it saddens me. I'm about to read this. I'm not going to read the article. But this fulfills everything I say about how much they hate the military. They hate the military just like they hate Christians because it's a voter block that doesn't vote for them. So they must demonize everybody that doesn't vote for them. They must make them monsters. But as a veteran, this is hard to swallow. This actually happened. New York Times published op-ed by the Taliban. It wasn't an edited document. This was an op-ed. They just gave him the paper. He wrote whatever he wanted. Responses to it, and I didn't do it very well. Um, <clears throat> Tim Graham on Repugnant Move by the Times. It's bizarre that the Times would helpfully publish an op-ed by the De- Deputy Leader of the Taliban. You cannot stand by the idea of the newspaper reviewing the New York Times bestseller. Mark Levin, in their mind, one of these men is beyond the pale, Media Research Center Tim Graham told Fox News. It's beyond the pale. It is inappropriate. It is un-American. You do not give an op-ed to a person who's killed all sorts of Muslims that you purport to care about more than your own citizens. Some of them immigrants, which you care about more than your own citizens. But that's the New York Times. They can't be left enough because they believe their circulation is all liberals. And so they're terming it that way. But worse, they have everybody on their staff who's a liberal, who cried when Trump got elected. We watched the documentary. It was earth-shattering to some to see a newsroom act that way. But to us that know the media, no, it wasn't surprising. And then our second media story, Chuck Todd rented Arlington, Virginia house to Amy Klobuchar. The Minnesota Democrat Bessler apparently began renting the house in 2008. A source insisted to page six that Klobuchar and Bessler were not currently living in the home anymore, but it's unclear when they moved out. A 2008 report by Star Tribune on where Minnesota's reps live said at the time that Klobuchar and Bessler moved to the three-bedroom Arlington rental home for a smaller apartment to accommodate family visitors. It said more room for visiting grandparents. They were renting the house for $3,200 a month plus utilities. 
The house, according to the online listing of the address, has 3.5 bathrooms and is 3,000 square feet. Page 6, this is well-known secret in Todd's circle. A source said it's not secret among Beltway insiders that Todd rented the home to Klobuchar, though it doesn't seem to have been disclosed publicly, naturally, and ironically when it comes to media outlets. NBC did not comment, and Klobuchar press rep did not immediately comment when reached out. Klobuchar appeared on Meet the Press six times since announcing her presidential campaign, February 10th, 2019, on March uh, 17th, April 28th, September 7th, and December 1st. In 2020, January 26th and February 16th, she appeared four times in 2018. Todd also interviewed Klobuchar alongside Lester Holt during the NBC impeachment coverage on January 23rd, and not once did he ever disclose it. But once again, DNC staffer, wife's besties with Jennifer Palmieri, Hillary's campaign manager threw a birthday for her. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. We have a garbage media. They side with one party, they push that one party, and then they get all pissed off when people call them out on it and say, well, I, I'm, I'm above the board. No, you're not. Liberal New York Review of Books admits newspapers are now more biased. The story was a view of books about the state of newspaper journalism. Lehman was discussing a couple books by Michael Schutzton and Matthew Pressman when he made the unusual admission. <clears throat> Sorry, I turned the heat up. I'm freezing. A flat-out newspaper bias in recent years. In this era, newspaper journalists were becoming white-collar, paid better than they had been before, and more likely to be college-educated and to think of themselves as independent professionals, a stature to question government officials and other institutional authority figures. The big newspapers enhanced profitability, finance their status upgrade. Television and radio had eroded their ability to be the prime deliverer of basic facts about daily events. Newspapers responded by turning out what Pressman calls interpretive journalism. Schuston called contextual journalism. Looking at the front page of first-rate American newspapers, and you'll probably see the only a minority of the stories are summaries of events from the previous day, and that several of them entail the reporters gathering information of their own and using it to present a conclusion they have drawn. That represented a big change from newspapers in the 60s. And he's spot on. The political implications of this are painfully obvious in the United States and elsewhere. In journalism, the poorer, the more nativist, the angrier parts of the country which vote accordingly are the ones where journalism can't deliver on its public promise because of its severe economic constraints. So he excuses it off. But, no. They're lefties. Need more proof? New York Times blames zealous Trump staff for D.C. social hostility. New York Times reporter Katie Rogers used the wedding of a White House immigration advisor, Stephen Miller, to Katie Waldman, press secretary for Pence, to show Trump staff as purposely isolating themselves among D.C. society. Pairing off in Trump's political bunker. The strange and sensitive headline begs a question Rogers doesn't directly answer. Why are Trump staffers trapped in the bunker in the first place? To make a case that the Trump administration is responsible for political polarization in Washington, not a recent phenomenon, Rogers ignores the left-wing groups and outraged individuals, lefties, mob, Trump staff, including Miller himself, and Trump supporters as they go about their lives in the cities and environs. Protesters even gather outside Miller's condominium. Stephen Miller and Katie Warwick were met while well, I don't give a shit. 
The wedding details shared in increments by the bride to reporters over the past few months illustrate what it me- meant for one notorious Trump aide to get married in a heavily Democratic town where the mere sight of him is known to create angry confrontations. It's his fault, though. Roger Sinder, the D.C. Denzines, Hillary Clinton won the district by 87%, didn't want to associate with conservatives, but Roger cast no accusation of intolerance their way. Instead, suggests Miller and company were more to blame. But the scene reflected what had been an uncomfortable truth for young aides since the beginning of the administration. Washington's highly politicized culture, a reality that the president and zealous officials like Mr. Miller have direct con- contributed to, can be brutal on dating life. Aides in this White House have isolated themselves along with Mr. Trump. They tend to retreat into their own homes for socializing or to the safety of the president's property. Here's the reality. The left literally had people go on TV and instruct their followers to attack people in public. This article never speaks of it. We never had long-out articles on it. We didn't have stories on it. It always ended up where this article was. It's Trump's fault. If Trump was more left, well, we wouldn't have this problem. If Trump was not Trump, we'd be better. I mean, what the fuck? Everything in Armenia is left-leaning. New NPR Foundation chair gave cash to Dems. CNN Andrew Liang, per announcement... Oh, I'm sorry, I fucked that up. It's, this is <laughs> two separate stories. <laughs> I didn't highlight, my bad. So the NPR Foundation chair is a dim donor, and then CNN brought in Andrew Yang to be a consultant. Yeah. Then, to go with our soundbite from the previous section, ABC, NBC, high poll showing Trump leading, cry Russian interference. Yeah, they did. As of Thursday, there were two sets of data from respective pollsters that showed Trump pulling ahead in Democratic rival nationally and in at least one key suing state, but conveniently leaked information. New York Times provided excellent cover for ABC News, World Tonight, and NBC News as it allowed them to ignore the polls and set the groundwork to falsely claim any Trump victory net in November would be the Russians. According to the Times, the House Intelligence Committee briefed the U.S. Intelligence Group, who served that Russia was trying to get Trump elected and help Bernie at the same time. David Muir had a field day, and we begin tonight with a developing headline involving the president in Russia. They don't talk about Bernie. So we're, we're back into Russia. Everything is Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. If Trump wins, it's Russia. If Bernie wins, it's Russia. And I say to the media, your foreign policy from the 80s is calling you. So last podcast, I played Caitlin Bennett. It became an article for CNN, Oliver Darcy. Fox News hosted an InfoWars personality on the air segment. Notably, Fox host Heather Childer only described Bennett throughout the segment as a gun right activist. Childers did not disclose she's from InfoWars. You have people on that are fucking from Antifa. That's okay. But our media... They're never going to disclose who they are. They're always going to be lefties. Here's Sam Stein. No candidate, in my opinion, has weaved biography, policy, and politics better this cycle. Every one of you out there, follow the show. You know we said Elizabeth Warren. That's who we said. Here are the replies, because I figured it would be better than me going off again about Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren literally lied about her heritage. The next one, lied about her ethnicity, lied about getting fired from being pregnant, lied about sending her schools to public, to her kids to public schools. 
Is weaving the new term for lying? Next one. Warren launched her candidacy by releasing a DNA test that proves she lied about being an American Indian, all the while claiming it proves she was basically Cochise, only to delete all evidence of the DNA test PR rollout after she got savage for it. I mean, it's so bad out there right now. Because Bernie is Trump on the left. Fox has been more fair to Bernie and they're They've had it with MSDNC. This is his campaign manager. MSNBC viewers even got the fire Chuck Todd training recently when he read from the piece. Tom Colts writes, For months, the campaign bristled at slights from MSDNC stable of hosts and commentators. Jason Johnson, an MSDNC contributor, predicted in January that Sanders would drop out by August. And network analyst Mimi Roca said in July that Sanders made her skin crawl. On-screen graphics that omitted Sanders and misrepresented his poll numbers, a trend that inspired a send-up from The Onion. Akira credited CNN for making effort to try and diversify their voices, citing the network hire of Alexander Rojas, the executive director of progressive organization, Justice Democrat, and a veteran of the 2016 Sanders campaign. Even Fox News has been more fair than MSDNC, according to Shakir. They say something, that's saying something, he said. Fox is often yelling about Bernie Sanders' socialism, but they're still giving our campaign the opportunity to make our case in a fair manner. A fair manner. They are so wrapped up in all this that now we have the deceptive video from Mike Bloomberg. There is a video that his campaign tweeted this morning that's gotten about a million views that didn't happen. It is a deceptively edited video. We can show part of it. I'm the only one here that I think has ever started a business. Is that fair? Okay. Okay, that didn't happen. He said those words. There was a, a maybe a quick second uh, when nobody kind of answered him, and then he moved on saying okay. And even uh, with the crickets, right? Well, the right. right. And that's uh, Dana Bash, who's all in for Warren, of course, because she's a female and she can't hide her ability to be a female. She just she's not a journalist. She never has. Democratic candidate and New York Mayor Bloomberg tweeted a humorous video of his performance during the February nineteenth debate. Liberal journalists wanted the video taken down. There's no doubt that these videos are manipulated and dangerous, said Vox. The video, which has crickets and reactions with other candidates, edited and created a statement, also extended the uncomfortable lack of response from other candidates. The backlash from the liberal media was swift. It bore a striking similarity to Trump about Pelosi. A Twitter spokesman told The Verge that Bloomberg video counted as manipulated media. Had it been tweeted when the platform's labeling policy began to be enforced, the video would have likely been labeled as a violation of rules. The Bloomberg campaign should label this as a parody. Washington Post said, wrote the Washington Post. But this falls under the freedom of expression. Harvard Law professor Jonathan Zitrain wrote in Medium Post about the Pelosi video on February 10th. It's political expression that could be said to be near-ranging the video sequence in order to make a point. Turning Point USA Chief Creative Officer Benny Johnson, the creator of the video, said, if our video is doctored, blah, 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 we already covered it. Um... If we allow this in Democratic primary, then we can't cry foul and complain when Trump does it in a general election. 
but they will. They just, they just will. They just will. They are in a hot pickle right now because they have an ex-Republican soaring up because most of America and the left know that Elizabeth Warren can't win because she's a fucking liar. Biden can't win. And you have a socialist. That's... I even read an article that I didn't cover that this is all because Trump. Because of the way Trump is, the left is becoming the right. No shit. That's what I fucking read. I stared at it like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. I mean, it's so bad now that by the time I get to this podcast, it's anti-Bernie, anti-Bernie. No, they only gave 74 seconds to Bernie Castro love. He's love a Castro. They did 34 minutes on Trump liking Putin. And he doubles the fuck down. Bernie Sanders doubled down on defending Fidel Castro. The truth is the truth. Bernie loves the literacy program, but forget those jailed over dissent and many more perished in firing squads. Anna fucking Navarro lost her fucking shit over this, talking about the stuff she had to do as a kid and how fucking horrible it was. And it was all indoctrination and brainwashing and blah, 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 blah. But it didn't go on the air. It went on her Twitter feed because he's leading. We're going to start transitioning over the next couple months. If he keeps leading, they're going to back off and they're going to start promoting Bernie Sanders. You're going to hear it because in the end, they just want Trump gone. So here's our media mash. Media, the view, jilling to AOC. CNN invites a stone juror who found to be totally biased that was on his case and wasn't gotten off. And now she's making a media tour talking about it, which is unbelievable for justice, so to speak. Um, baseless claims of political bias. CNN's Keller can't get her facts straight with this anti-Trump rant. Remember, this is CNN. This is a journalist midday. Have you ever seen her show? You would think you're watching the Young Turks. Let, let me talk about you for a second, because you are a star yourself. It's almost like you're running. The media gives <laughs> for you... For re-election. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm talking about president. <laughs> and the media gives you a lot of attention, and yet you're very um, polarizing for some reason. Some people some people uh, love you, and some people don't love you. I mean, we have that problem ourselves, but since you're... I mean, you t- it goes with the territory, really, and we all accept it. But you trigger people. Mm. Why do you think you do that? And how does it manifest? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, um, before people even knew who I was, like five minutes after I won my primary, it was the apocalypse on Fox News. Yeah. And why? I think it's because our political system is not designed for people like us. Um, They're not designed for working people to succeed, for young people, for women, for people of color. It's not particularly welcoming. And historically, um, to have someone like that ascend, especially when I was running against someone who was the antithesis of those things. um, To ascend so rapidly. Right. It's it's, It's upending. But also, I think it's because 
our entire political system revolves, frankly, around rich men. And rich men are not the center of my universe. Working families are. How does it feel when the president of the United States attacks the jury that you sat on? Hey, John, thanks for having me. Uh, honestly, it's, it's appalling to me. Um, John, eight, eight million Americans are called and report to jury service every year. That's 40,000 people every court day. 40,000 people today are showing up for jury duty. And for the president to to issue these baseless attacks on our jury and on our foreperson really denigrates the service that each of those people is doing. I mean, they they took made arrangements to take the day off work. They made arrangements for child care to do their civic duty, to check their bias at the door, and to judge the case by the facts as they're presented. That's exactly what we did as a jury. That's exactly what Tamika, our foreperson, did in the process she helped us through. Um, I think it's appalling. I wish you wouldn't do it. Uh, and aside from the fact that the defense allowed every single one of you uh, to be placed on that jury, I've heard you talk about the fact that the foreperson was the most rigorous uh, in terms of demanding facts, correct? She was. I, um, I mean, most rigorous. She, she was the person who helped us through the process and helped us you know, sort of establish the framework by which we would examine each and every element and each charge uh, by itself and would tie each element back to the evidence that we had been given. So, yes, she was, she was, uh, you know, sort of principal person in making sure that we took our job very seriously and rendered a correct verdict. So, was he treated unfairly? He was not treated unfairly by us as a jury. Uh, from everything that I saw happen in the courtroom, I don't believe that he was treated unfairly in the courtroom. Uh, I, you know, of course have no Mm-hmm. I have no knowledge of what happened outside of that or or before that. How would you feel if the president pardoned Roger Stone? It's been a little more than two weeks since the Senate acquitted President Trump. And since then, the president's list of actions he's undertaken as part of his retribution tour is growing. He has vowed revenge on his perceived enemies. He's attacked senators who voted against him, fired witnesses who testified, cheered on Republican efforts to investigate Joe Biden, cheered on his attorney general's acceptance of dirt from Rudy Giuliani. He's interfered in the sentencing of Roger Stone. He's attacked a juror and a federal judge. He has continued attacks on justice matters despite threats from his own attorney general. And he's granted pardons and clemency to clemency to a crew of white-collar fraudsters. He's ousted a top Pentagon official, brought back loyalists into his administration, and he put a loyalist with no intelligence or national security experience in charge of the nation's intelligence agencies, all of these intelligence agencies. So the president's assault on America's rule of law and other institutions is clearly evident, and we will be keeping a record of it. So late to airing, I, I'm in the uh, doctor's office and I'm looking at Twitter. And if we remember, I believe it was last podcast, uh, Chris Matthews said that uh, Bernie Sanders winning was like Nazis and shit. An analogy that's made once a night on CNN and MSDNC about Trump. Well, he was sent to time out. He did the breakfast club. And here he is, having to apologize on air. Before getting into the night's news, I went quite important and personal. Watch the one-sided results of Saturday's Democrats in Nevada. I reached for an historical now and used a bad one. 
I want to refer to an event from the last days or actually days of World War II. I'm sorry for comparing anything from that tragedy which so many suffered, especially people, to an electoral result in which you were the well winner. This is going to be a hard-needed campaign of ideas. In the two months ahead, I will strive to do a better job myself in the political discussion. Congrats, by the way, to you, Senator Sanders, and to on a tremendous win down in Nevada. So we're going to end our media mash with the Democrat soundbite that'll be our break. See, I'm trying to cut the podcast down. It kind of kind of puts the horse behind the cart because it, a lot of the stuff we just talked about, so this media section was actually in the Dem debate, but I, there's no way for me to I, work with me while I work the kinks out of this new concept of instead of music, playing soundbites. But we started with Dana Bash, a total fucking lib piece of shit. We're going to end with Mitchell, once again, a lib piece of shit, and it's all about women. You hear us say Warren. You will then go straight into the Dem debate, hear a bumper, and we'll come into college crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a fucking bunch of protesters because of John Bolton. So, enjoy. Sanders is a prohibitive front runner, and it is going to be very hard to stop him. That is, is this partly that the moderates are so fractured, and that Elizabeth Warren, a progressive competitor yeah. against Bernie Sanders, pretty much collapsed in New Hampshire. And uh, yeah, I think there's a. I think I, I, I think that there's. You know, it's really interesting. Why? Why did that happen to Elizabeth Warren? I do think her gender had a lot to. There's a lot to unpack with how she ended it up getting treated. It goes back to your book, and yes, <laughs> and another one that I've written because there's. Uh, yeah, because there's a lot of. Uh, there's still a lot of questions about that. But she, you know, I know she has a chance to shine tonight. She's good on the debate stage. She's trying to be the, the progressive that can unify the party. And then, you know, Klobuchar and Pete are going to try to make their arguments about, you know, why they're America's last best hope. Um, but it is, you know, it, it's where I feel like we're just on a trajectory of Bernie versus Bloomberg. It's almost as if the first year of the of the Democratic primary didn't, didn't, didn't even happen. Yeah. Well, it did matter in that Klobuchar, speaking of gender, yeah. did not get the attention that a, a person of her qualifications really deserved. She didn't get the, that attention on debate stages. She didn't get the money. And now for Klobuchar and even Buttigieg, who's done better in online fundraising, to compete in 14 states in a national Primary, Mike, it's really, really tough. I can't speak for all billionaires. All I know is I've been very lucky, made a lot of money, and I'm giving it all away to make this country better. And a good chunk of it goes to the Democratic Party as well. Is it too much? Have you earned too much money? Has it been an obscene amount of Should you have earned that much money? Yes. I worked very hard yeah. for it. And I'm giving okay. it away. I believe in democratic socialism okay, for working people, not billionaires. Health care for all, educational opportunity all right, for all. Senator, thank you. Mayor Bloomberg, the question was about socialism. What a wonderful country we have. The best-known socialist in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What did I miss here? Well, you'll miss that I work in Washington, house one. That's the first problem. Live in Burlington, house two. That's good. And like thousands of other Vermonters, I do have a summer camp. Forgive me for that. Where is your home? Which tax which tax haven do you have your home? New York City, thank you very much. And I pay all my taxes. Mayor Buttigieg, I want to get you in on this. Because, you know, in 2000, you wrote an award-winning essay. You praised Senator Sanders. You specifically praised him for embracing socialism. You have now since said that you are concerned about his policies. But I am curious about this. 
Are you out of touch with your own generation? Millennials, by a big chunk, embrace his version of democratic socialism. You do not. Are you out of touch with your generation? Today, we got 100,000 people on the streets of America. Today, we have 80 families paying 50% of their limited incomes. Today, we have hundreds of thousands of bright young people who cannot afford to get a vacation. Today, we have 45 people paying a student that many of them cannot afford to pay. So what campaign is about and what our administration will be about is rethinking America, understanding that of our people, when I say all, I also mean the undocumented in this country. That all of our people are entitled to human rights. to hold oil and gas executives accountable for their role in harming our planet. You have even suggested that you might put them in jail. Which companies are you talking about and how far are you willing to go? Vice President Biden, you didn't answer to my questions. What would you do with these companies that are responsible for the destruction of our planet? So you said undocumented immigrants should have been able to receive coverage through Obamacare. This is something that you've said in the past, and you've addressed that in your health plan. Now, let's just say you're the president of the United States. You go to Congress. You're trying to pass the bill, and that becomes the roadblock, that, that, that you're just not able to get it through if you're going to provide access for undocumented immigrants. Would you be willing to put it aside, or is that something you will not drop? I'm going to fight to make sure that anybody can participate on this plan. Because if we are excluding people from the ability to get in on health insurance, we're not just harming them, we're punishing ourselves. We become a less healthy country. More people will be in emergency rooms because they can't get uh, the preventive treatment that they need up front. And more people will be sick. Nobody wins when that is the case. And so I will do everything in my power to make sure that when we deliver this plan, we do it in a way that everybody can participate. Is it fair to say, just to be clear, that health insurance for undocumented immigrants is a deal breaker for you? I mean, I can't game out every amendment or poison pill, every change they're going to try to make to bring the package together. What I'll say is that that is one of the pillars of the plan as I see it. Former employees have claimed that your company was a hostile workplace for women. When you were confronted about it, you admitted making sexually suggestive remarks, saying, quote, that's the way I grew up. In a lawsuit in the 1990s, according to the Washington Post, one former female employee alleged that you said, quote, I would do you in a second. Should Democrats expect better from their nominee? Let me, let me say a couple things, and have, if I can have my full minute and a, qu- a quarter, thank you. Um, I have no tolerance for the kind of behavior that the Me Too movement has exposed. And anybody that does anything wrong in our company, we investigate it, and if it's appropriate, they're gone that day. But let me tell you what I do in my company and my foundation and in city government when I was there. In my foundation, the person that runs it's a woman. Seventy percent of the people there are women. In my company, lots and lots of women have big responsibilities. They get paid exactly the same as men. And in my um, uh, in City Hall, the person that's the top person, my deputy mayor, was a woman, and forty percent of our commissioners were women. 
I am very proud of the fact that about two weeks ago, we were awarded, uh, we were voted the uh, most, the, the best place to work, second best place in America. If that doesn't say something about our employees and how happy they are, I don't know what does. Senator Warren, you've been critical of Mayor Bloomberg on this issue. Yes, I have. And I hope you've heard what his defense was. I've been nice to some women. That just doesn't cut it. The mayor has to stand on his record. And what we need to know is exactly what's lurking out there. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. So, Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? We have a very few non-disclosure agreements. How many is Let me that? finish. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And let me just, and let me put, there's a be, agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet, and that's up to them. They signed those agreements, so, and we'll live with it. So wait, when you say it is up to, I just want to be clear. Some is how many? And, and when you and when you say they signed them and they wanted them, if they wish now to speak out and tell their side of the story about what it is they allege, that's now okay with you? You're releasing them on television tonight? Senator, no. Is that right? Senator, the company and somebody else, in this case, a man or a woman, or could be more than that, they decided when they made an agreement that they wanted to keep it quiet for everybody's no. interest. They signed the agreements, and that's what we're going to live I, with. I'm sorry. No, the question is, are I the women bound by being muzzled by you? And you could release them from that immediately. Because understand, this is not just a question of the mayor's character. This is also a question about electability. We are not going to beat Donald Trump with a man who has who knows how many non-disclosure agreements and the drip, drip, drip of stories of women saying they have been harassed and discriminated against. That's not what we do as Democrats. Mr. Vice President, look, let's get something straight here. It's easy. All the mayor has to do is say, you are released from the non-disclosure agreement. Period. We talk about we talk about transparency here. This guy got himself in trouble, and maybe saying that he went, there was a non he couldn't disclose what he did. He went to his company. Just to be super clear, got, that was about the list of clients. No, so no, nobody no, no, gets no, yeah, no, 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 no,
and they have every right to expect that they will stay private. If they want to release it, they should be able to release can themselves. I add, can I add a word Say to yes. You know, we talk about electability, and everybody up here wants to be Trump. And we talked about stop and frisk, and we talked about the workplace that Mayor Bloomberg has established and the problems there. But maybe we should also ask how Mayor Bloomberg in 2004 supported George W. Bush for president, put money into Republican candidates for the United States Senate when some of us, Joe and I and others, were fighting for Democrats to control the United States Senate. And maybe, we can talk, maybe we can talk about a billionaire saying that we should not raise the minimum wage. Or that we should cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. If that's a way to beat Donald Trump, wow, I would be very surprised. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony trying to get crazy with this thing don't you know i'm local now it's time for news and social media nuggets the crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind What's wrong with that? No, nothing. It's just you didn't inform us that you are speaking for campus reform. You didn't tell me. What's wrong with me being with campus reform? I don't want want to speak to you. You don't have to, but she can. Well, I'm letting her know that she doesn't have to speak to you because you're part of campus reform. She doesn't have to speak to me if she doesn't want to. Well, it's just great when you explain where it's come from, but I'm okay. Partly because I have read about... The perspective of various people, including conservatives, that I can tell that this person is extremely harmful. Thank you. Do you want to may I ask you a few questions? No. Why not? Good. Anybody? Anybody want to answer questions? Nobody? I know someone earlier said don't talk to me because I'm with campus reform. Yes, we're not going to talk to you because you're part of campus reform. Now leave. I will call the fucking cops on you. You can call the cops. Then leave. Well, I don't have to leave. It's a public space. Very tolerant. Very tolerant. And he's following me around. We'll go ask some more people some questions. I think I'll see how many times I can walk in a circle and this guy follow me. What do you not like about John Bolton? Can I ask you a few questions about the protest or about the event? Do you mind if I ask you guys a few questions no, about the you. protest? No, thank you. No, thank you. No problem. And I feel like Duke needs to be held accountable for for normalizing people like this. If that makes sense. Wait, do you mean? Do you think he shouldn't? He shouldn't have a right to come speak here. 
Well, I, well, I think he should go to court because then he should be like, uh, go, go to the Hague for, for the, all the war crimes he's committing. He should be treated as like some, like an individual to be respected. So you think John Bolton shouldn't have the right to speak? No, he shall not. And this is just a slap in the face. I cannot indulge in conversation with him. I do not think he should be in the page auditorium. I do not think he deserves to be in this community at all. So you don't think he should have a right to speak? No. Shame on Duke, you know, for having somebody like Bolton. Bolton is one of the worst of the worst. These are racist forces that we need to organize against. Uh, silence is uh, not going to save us. Um, when we saw the rise of Nazis in Germany, uh, fascism, uh, then, you know, uh, we are seeing similar situation now locally. So I would say I think it's very disgusting that Duke University invites this person. Uh, I'm actually an international student. I'm coming from France. Uh, I came last semester, and I believe the Duke was a university that would provide me with, like, great teaching, critical thinking, and a very, like, interesting outcome on the world, but what I have seen is an university that was much more conservative, but like in the sense of being narrow, of lacking a critique of the existing system, and of actually promoting white supremacy and privilege. John Bolton is like a symbol of American imperialism and like the, the countless atrocities around the world, hundreds of thousands of people killed in Iraq, and he was also an advisor for George W. Bush. His occupation at Duke, at best, is just disgusting, because we as international students feel like this is a space that we have, we have had to fight for so strongly to be here. We're out here protesting the fact that Duke is giving him a platform. Um, and uh, He's a racist, he's imperialist. We go around the world uh, provoking and creating crises, and then we come down heavy on people for reacting to our militarism. Ah, the tolerant left. And the tolerant left is definitely not paying attention to their candidates. Because as Bloomberg Bloomberg is surging, Bloomberg blasted college campus intolerance in blistering 2019 op-ed. Michael Bloomberg has had enough with the intolerance on college campuses. Not going to read it. But he was a Republican. (laughs) Some will say, well, Tony, Trump was a Democrat. Yeah, he was. Not saying he's not. But this tough guy Bloomberg, I might have Hillary as my running mate bullshit. What it really shows is how disenchanted the left is with their candidates. I mean, it's just, it's really kind of sad. Positive news, which I always do negative in here, so I decided to have a little fun and do a positive up front. You're fired! Campus official flaunted fuck Trump sign out of a job. Following controversy over a chief equity and inclusion officer decision to post a photograph of himself with a profane political sign, one Michigan community college has opted to eliminate the position completely. Citizens of Battle Creek, Michigan gathered to share their thoughts regarding the actions of Kellogg Community Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer George Zabalos. Campus Reform previously reported that during the December (coughs) rally at Kellogg Arena, Zabalos protested while holding a sign reading, Fuck Trump, Fuck McConnell, Fuck Graham. We covered it on the show. Several local taxpayers condemned Zabalos' actions as shameful and immature, while others supported him, saying that the profane protest was insignificant. One attendee told Campus Forum that Zabalos' detractors were showing white privilege, because they criticized. As the meeting progressed, blah, 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 at the end of the day, he got shit-canned. It's a long article, 
Because this dickhead said all sorts of fucked up shit. And finally, they had to bow to public pressure. If it was a state college, probably wouldn't happen. But because this is a community college, yeah, it happened. Syracuse protesters call for heads to roll after being told no. Syracuse University is spending $5.6 million on a diversity and inclusion initiative to fulfill 50 promises of the Chancellor made in fall 2019 to placate student protesters. But they're still protesting. 30 of them were suspended in February for refusing to leave a closed building on campus. These promises made by the Chancellor Kent whatever, came amid months of pressure by student protester group Not Again SU and it demands for the Chancellor resignation after they were displeased by a supposedly insu- insufficient response to a string of racist incidents on campus. Savid vowed to take interim steps to address space issues for multicultural students. He designed a room in the university library to temporarily address the serious concern for lack of space for black Americans to just be with black Americans, which is so fucking racist, but it's a thing, I guess. Greek organizations, um, it was going to include Greek organizations. Severi had promised that other committee was in works to specifically address space issues for Native Americans to be with just Native Americans. He says he'll recommend a form of, uh, form of and location for a permanent marker on campus that acknowledge Syracuse University's stand on ancestral lands and all this kind of shit. The not, again, SU organizers were dissatisfied with Severian for not signing on to only 16 of the original 19 demands, issued in November, after a string of racist and anti-Semitic incidents were reported, including supposed distribution of white supremacist manifesto, <clears throat> later deemed to be a hoax. Severian added edits to the three demands he did not agree to, including a demand where students can choose their roommate based on mutual interest and identities. That's called racism. The demand initially called for an option where students can choose a roommate of the same race. This was rewarded, reworded after the movement received backlash. Severian had agreed that the mutual interest option but crossed out identities. Not again, SU condemned all the edits, calling this revised variation of the demands. It listed this as a reason for demanding him to resign. Under his leadership, racism has been emboldened. Yeah, he bowed to 16 and 19, but he's a racist. They taped up different flyers around campus with names of each other individual saying these individuals are exasperated and hostile to campus environment and have acted, actively allowed hate speech to prevail in the university. Um, organizers added. Students occupied Syracuse University Barnes Center for eight days straight with a string of racist incidents were first being reported in a university-wide forum meant to address the 19 demands. Numerous protesters staged a walkout after he initially hesitated to sign the list of demands. Hundreds of protesters then marched all over the fucking place, sign and resign and the other phrases. In an attempt to keep the movement alive before the university winter break, uh, they organized a staged a second campus walkout during classes. He went to his office to hand-deliver demanding his resignation. He strung a large poster that said, Bye Kent, and other posters that state, I hate it here. Not again, SU vowed to continue the movement in the new spring 2020, but there have been uh, no other things. Uh, let's do that. By starting Monday, they took a presidency. I can't find in this article what the other stuff was they demanded, but once again, you got 16 and 19, and it's not enough? 16 and 19. Uh, tweets. This is bad, really bad. Circus University just handed out our suspension notice to students staging a sit-in. To date, no student has been reprimanded for the hate crimes that were all hoax. 
Um, they, they broke this down. It's really big. But it's kind of like the Arizona shit. They want all liberal shit. Everybody has individual fucking buildings. I, I just am so shocked that liberals, back in the day, you must do busing. We must integrate our kids. So much so that even though Oregon wasn't the South and there weren't separate schools, they would bus white kids downtown and black kids to the burbs, and we do these interchange stuff when I was like in fourth grade. Um, because it was important to have kids be together, get to know everybody's culture. So much so that when I moved here, my kids went to a predominantly black school, and there was crime and metal fucking detectors. But we thought it was great because our kids need to be exposed to that. They got to learn how to deal with other cultures, blah, 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 even though it was gang shit. Now it's, no, we need to be separated. That's what African Americans want. Because once again, they got what they wanted. They pushed for this. They got it. Now they don't want it. And the whole thing just sums up how far we've gone left. And once again, with these left groups, it proves it's never what they want. They're always going to find out something new they want. So fuck them. Ignore their asses is what I say. Sanders sides with grad students who grade the USCS shit that we talked about last time, or UCSC. Grad students are fighting to have their labor rights acknowledged. I strongly urge the president of the UC system to stop threatening them, especially immigrant students. Because he's a fucking socialist. NYU chosen pronoun policy could create confusion guessing game as we start transitioning into gay shit. We'll get the bumper in a second, because I just like playing the bumper. <clears throat> students at New York University can now request that their professors avoid referring to them by their pronouns in the classroom. Albert, the portal for NYU members, is now equipped with a tool that allows students to list their desired pronouns, name, pronunciation, and choose to not list them at all. The NYU website for pronouns and name pronunciation offers tutorials and videos on how to complete filling the pronoun information. Class rosters will be updated every night so the professor never pronounce a student's name incorrectly or call them by the wrong pronoun. How fucking snowflake are you? My entire life, my real name has never been said right. I didn't demand shit. <clears throat> or if a student prefers they can request that their professors never use pronouns when referring them in class. Select your pronoun and decide whether or not you want them used in the classroom. The website announcing the new feature states, besides students no longer only using his or her pronouns according to their biological sex, the new policy would complicate classroom discussions unless professors use a student's given name each and every time they refer to a particular student. That's why you just do what happened in the Army. This happened during the Clinton administration when they're pushing integrated, where everybody just wanted to fuck and not actually learn. I mean integrated by male and female. I called everybody you. Because I got in in trouble by a QA guy that run around and try to hide in woods and catch you doing something wrong. Because I said, come here, private... Come here. Hey, Dick, get over here. Well, his name was Dick. He was Private Dick. But even then, oh, you shouldn't do that. It's his goddamn name. What do you want me to call him? Private. Okay. So I went to Private and you. Hey, you, not you, the other you. I just did that all the time. Fuck you. Misgendering is is incorrectly referring to a person's uh, gender by assuming their gender identity, the website states. Often is done by using the wrong pronouns for person. Misgendering someone can be done intentionally or unintentionally, and it can have long-lasting harmful impact. 
A university-wide email states obtained by Campus Reform informs students of their newfound pronoun option. The email explains to students they also have the option to have it said or not and their names and all this shit. School declined to comment, of course. You can also opt out of having your pronouns viewed by your instructor in case you are only comfortable sharing your pronouns with administrators and advisors, the university explained, before acknowledging that the need for the policy in the first place was because we can no longer assume what pronoun students want to use when referring to themselves and need to support faculty and staff in their effort to pronounce students' names correctly. The email finished by saying there is still much to do to improve the university. We as a community have much work to do in a number of areas, and this is one action toward creating an even more inclusive NYU. Yeah. When they talk to a person, I personally think it's more of a token gesture. I'm not sure it will actually change anything, Schlesinger told Campus Reform. Schlesinger said she believes the new option for students is a precautionary measure. It allows school to give itself a pat on the back and cover its back in case anything happens. NYU has also created a page that lists all available pronouns students can choose from. The page explains the importance of using preferred pronouns so as not to misgender students because it can be harmful and shit. These people are so touchy. Your name's mispronounced is going to break you down? Really? No. It's people using it as a weapon. He's a racist because he couldn't say, Get over yourself. Just get over yourself. But we never will. Because we're going into gay shit. And that's where all this shit starts. Hey. 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 Bow. 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 Lil pump and cut. Hey. Gang shit. 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 It's that time again, another tranny storybook, Margaret O'Hallahan. Mary Marg, oh, whatever the fuck. Spent my Saturday morning at Adams Morgan Drag Queen Story Hour, where drag queen Cake read and sang to children as young as nine months old. Multiple young D.C. parents attended and told me they love the opportunity to introduce their kids to diverse ideas. How is that diverse? Did you hear him? It was me. Came with a story. D.C. parents bring children as young as nine to Adam Morgan Drag Queen. More than 50 people attended Saturday morning D.C. Drag Story Hour with Drag Queen Cake. Parents and caregivers who brought their children told the Daily Color News Foundation that they view Drag Queen Story Hour as an opportunity to 
introduce children to diverse ideas. It just sounds like a really fun event. Different things to do on a Monday morning, one mother who brought her nine-month-old daughter said. Uh, let's see. Locals gather Saturday morning in Washington, D.C. to listen to Cake, a drag queen, sing songs, read books, children as young as nine months old. More than 50 people attend the drag queen story hour. Uh, spokesman Jaina Person told the Daily Caller Foundation. Uh, oh, sorry. The official drag queen story hour hosted the event and at the inline to community center in Adams Morgan. The official drag queen story hour. Hosted the event in collaboration with the D.C. Public Library, the spokesman said. I fucking read that all fucked up. Drag Queen Cake read three different books to upward of 30 children at the event. Cake spoke in a deep voice and was dressed in silver high heels, a flowing pink wig, elaborate makeup, and glittery leotard outfit that exposed most of the drag queen's legs. For me, growing up and like my time versus like now, it's like pretty cool that we've been able to expand everyone's horizons and like show things that kids haven't seen before. That's them really talking with the likes. Trying to be a girl. Many of the children were held in their parents' arms throughout the story hours. They could not yet walk, and the toddlers at the event wobbled around in front of the stage as Cake read them and led them in a song. The drag queen started with the song, The More We Get Together, encouraging parents and children. He read The Snowy Day and two other books before leading them into singing, If You're Happy and You Know It, Clap Your Hands. Interviewed to people. I think it's great to see these opportunities popping up. Several parents and caregivers, blah, blah, blah. Shut the fuck up. There is no reason to bring a nine-month-old kid to Drag Queen Story Hour. That, do it the opposite. I took a nine-month-old kid to a very, very extreme religious ceremony. I took a nine-month-old kid to a Trump rally. I took a nine-month-old kid to a pro-gun rally or to the range. We've seen those. Eight-year-old kids shooting people, losing their fucking shit, and telling them how to raise their kid. Google AI won't use man or woman to ID people, says Business Insider. So they're artful. This is what's happened. They made that stuff. Everybody freaked the fuck out, remember? And they didn't want them working with the Defense Department, so now they've gone back and jiggered it so that it won't be man or woman. Human being. <laughs> the Nation Mag, shadowy ADF leads dangerous assault on trans athletes' rights. The Nation Magazine posted an acidic attack on Alliance Defending Freedom for suing the organization overseeing Connecticut high school sports to stop the madness allowing boys to compete with girls. Sports editor David Zarin called ADF a shadowy conservative think tank behind right-wing campaigns attacking transgender rights. Oh, could that also be like, GLAD? They're just the opposite. Bolded points. These dangerous reactionary assumptions are on the table thanks to a powerful Christian conservative legal organization and the people it has fronting for its lawsuit. There's a right-wing campaign afoot using the presence of transgender, intersex, and gender nonconforming women in sports as a stalking horse to attack the already limited and precarious civil rights held by trans community. Around the country, legislation is being introduced to aim at keeping high school trans athletes off the playing field. But a new level of TDS, trans derangement syndrome, is being posited by a lawsuit in Kentucky, in, or in Connecticut. In fact, it can be weaponized against them. The plaintiff in Connecticut lawsuit are a tip of the spear for an organization running this effort and powerful, connected, and shadowy conservative think tank. 
There was a bakery that didn't want to sell a wedding cake to an LGBTQ ceremony, and ADF would be there, he groans. They have been designated a hate group by Southern Poverty Law Center, who basically says any conservative group is also one. Yeah. But I put those together because that brings us perfectly into our next article. Forget communism. Blue check journos as American kids are being indoctrinated in service of the white evangelical Christian ideology that reigns supreme. Anna Navarro, but she's right about the dangers of communist indoctrination of kids. I was in second grade when Sandinistas came to power in Nicaragua. They adopted a Cuban education model. The book's curriculum taught ideological indoctrination. Children recite communist revolutionary anti-America slogans. That's how communists teach people to read. Leave it to someone like independent journalist and ex-buzzfeeder John R. Stanton to twist or tweet into condemnation of the Pledge of Allegiance. Because, you know, reciting the pledge is propaganda and shit. Here's his tweet. This has been going on in the U.S. for a long time. Kids recite a pledge of allegiance to the motherland. Textbooks include obvious lies about slavery and evolution. And we're erased the genocide of Native American peoples. All in the service of the white evangelical Christian ideology that reigns supreme. One response. Bullshit. We do talk about the Trail of Tears. We recognize that how bad slavery was, slavery was. Evolution is taught instead of creationism. The pledge is an oath for the love of our country. John, you're brainwashed. By the way, I'm a teacher. Corey DeAngelis. Indoctrination left to right in government schools is one of the best arguments for school choice. It's so fucking true. It's so true. Oh, my God. Mmm. You fucking people and your hate of Christians. I just fucking don't... I don't fucking get it. The blind leading Washington Post fawns over trans advice columnist, Dear Prudence. And I don't know what Dear Prudence is. I think it's a female being a male because they show a picture, but I don't know what it is. <clears throat> Who becomes a modern advice columnist? According to the Washington Post, Mara Juckis is someone with a deep well of empathy, a strong moral compass, a gift for being succinct without coming off as glib. Empathy check, not glib, got it, strong, moral compass, huh? Judith's description comes from a long, adoring profile of advice columns from the lefty online Zion Slate. But Dear Prudence is as, as, is as morally lost as any of the rudderless ninnies who write in for tips on sex toy etiquette. Mr. Daniel Lavery is Dear Prudence, but he used to be Mrs. Mallory Ortberg. And he's married to a she that used to be a he. We've come a long way from Miss Manners. Lavery is the most notable new figure in a field of advice givers that have begun to diversify, reflecting an overdue understanding that cisgendered white men people are hardly the ones in search of a small act of neating that columnists can provide. Nor are they the only ones qualified to tend to other people's problems. Damn cisgender white people dominating the advice columns with their cisgender white people problems and cisgender white people solutions. But Judkiss advice, nom de plume, credulous on K Street, has a point. The milk-toast housewife bullied by her mother-in-law, Pomeranian, is so 1964. This is 2020. We need thoroughly woke advice gurus to help us navigate our myriad kinks, perversion, and overall moral bankruptcy. Daniel, formerly Mallory, is from San Francisco. His wife, formerly a man, is an English professor at UC Berkeley. Oh, there it is. They recently moved to Brooklyn. How's that for a resume? 
And you could expect nothing less from Slate. Juckus notes that the site's other advice writer include a porn star, a bisexual black woman with a weight problem, and a financially struggling junkie. Junkins tells of accompanying Lavery to the Brooklyn Museum. When Renaissance artist Bernito Di Conti's portrait of Catello Trevisio stops him in his track. What a shitty little beard, says Lavery, pointing out the contrast between the subject's great lustrous hair and the faint cloud of mist over his chimp. His unsparring assessment quickly gives way to thoughtful analysis. What feels very transmasculine about this is just like, I got my hairstyle ex- exactly as I want it, and my beard's not ready for prime time, but I'm going to pull it out. Thoughtful analysis, but to really understand the kind of perpetrating insight, here's some of them. Question, my 13-year-old son wants me to buy him a sex toy, should I? What the fuck kind of question is it? What kind of fucking parent are you? You don't buy your 13-year-old kid a fucking pocket pussy. Who the fuck does that? The answer, philosophically, I see nothing wrong with you buying your 13-year-old son a sex toy. And he will be masturbating anyway. But I'm guessing that part of why you're asking this question is because facilitating a teen's sexual expression is taboo and may feel like a weird thing to do. What the fuck? Next question. My toddler found grandma's sex toy. Is it wrong of me to request that she lock her stuff away? Answer. Oh, this is sort of charming, sort of cringeworthy too, obviously. I think the most important lesson here is to press upon your daughter that she shouldn't go through other people's things. Let's just avoid the whole thing. There's much more, like the white married heterosexual cisgender woman who wants to be good ally but has trouble fitting in with all the cool queer kids. Or the woman whose boyfriend believes she's the reincarnation of the evil witch. There are even some more bourgeois dilemmas that might be familiar to Dear Abby. And Lavery addresses each one with a strong moral compass. Stop laughing. Sweet fucking God. It is paired with this soundbite of a dude that's trying to be a girl... I don't know what the fuck this is. Bitching about it getting a haircut. Sometimes I need a haircut. It's really that simple. Simplicity seems to jump out the window when I head out the door into our society which has a limited capacity for people who don't fit the norm. And we're normally offered female or male. Mark the box. Tick. Please make yourself. But I'm more of that other, if that's even an option. Like, I'm some thing on the outside, existing beside the world as it rolls by, all pink and blue. In this society entirely divisible by two into woman and man. But I relate most to that. Ampersand. And I need a haircut. So, option one is the salon. That womanly world of perfumed femininity with which I feel like I have little affinity. Or option two is the barbers which isn't much better since this voice and these swells in my chest make me feel like an infiltrator. But barbers or salon when I get to the chair. Before we can even touch on my hair there's this question which hangs there unuttered and awkward then made all the more awkward when they say I know this is awkward. And through the mirror they ask if I'm a boy or a girl. Am I trans, am I gay, and I don't know what to say. Sometimes I pick my labels to make other people feel okay. 
But it's never enough to say where I'd like to be trimmed or shaved. They need to know my sex. How else can they charge the appropriate rate? I'm sure you've seen the signs. Gents trim five quid, women's trim nine. It doesn't matter how I define anyway when the hair on her head charged by what's between her legs and as usual, there always seems to be a higher price to pay for those who are female. And I know that the majority of people do feel safe in this divide. But there's so much possibility if we trim a bit off our prejudices. And I know in the past few years things have been changing and that is amazing. There's drag queens on TV and out queer celebrities, hormones and surgeries. But still too often there's some of us standing, clutching our bladders stuck, trying to decipher which bathroom door symbol we better resemble based on what we are wearing or how brave we are feeling. There's day-to-day -day struggles people quietly battle, like finding a way to wear your own skin while navigating a world in which we don't always fit in. We're queer and we're here and life can be tough out there. So do you have to make a fuss or could you just cut our fucking hair? Jesus fucking Christ. Apple TV Plus documentary admits television a tool for the gay mafia. Yeah. Apple TV has truly hit the peak of progressiveness, and there's no turning back. The five-part documentary series, Visible, out on television, spells out the true agenda behind LGBTQ representation on television. I was going to watch this, but I fucking deleted my Apple account because I really didn't watch anything. And then I was going to dog the shit out of it. So this article just does it for me. Namely, the idea that television is at its best when it's being used as a tool for the gay community. All five parts which premiere on February 14 lay out the history of LGBTQ representation on television. It begins with the first reference to homosexuality in McCarthy hearing in 57 and moves to the present day with every major TV event in between those times. The premiere episode, The Dark Ages, dives in the record... With their agenda front and center, summing up all the details and posturing we'll be hearing for over five hours. That includes the notion that television is only at its best with several gay characters. Considering the second episode is literally called television as a tool. <laughs> it's safe to say that the goal is clearly indoctrination and normalization of gay lifestyle. Even in the documentary, there are no hiding that many forms of gay representation became excuses for liberal diatribes to millions of viewers. There is even special attention given to the gay activist groups such as ACT UP, GLAAD, noting that using TV as the media was the whole game. Referencing these groups alone removes all doubt that this being anything but political, the documentary then quickly moves into more recognizable shows such as Three's Company, Will & Grace, The L Word, My So-Called Life, Career Eye, Straight Guy, Modern Family, Pose, seeing a scope of television move from simply placating gay characters on screen to openly celebrating every perverted thing they could come up with. Yeah. But it gets worse. The show goes so far as to co-opt other characters from popular shows to simply act as gay representation for them. And here I thought liberals don't like appropriation. Another unusual habit the documentary has is his obsession with intersectionality. Every time an episode recognized a sp supposed breakthrough in gayness, it also posted with the fact that the character was usually a white person. Moments like Ellen DeGeneres, Will and Grace, we're still living in an era where black characters don't get their due. Even when liberals move ahead, they still play the victim. The double standards continue as we reach the present day in the final episode, The New Guard. Here, the documentary unironically raises empire and transparent for the gay outreach despite the clear controversies behind the actors. 
The, the most we get is the creator of Transparent admitting that hiring Jeffrey Tambor was like an original sin was truly problematic for trans people. But no references to sexual assault allegation. Now, they didn't talk about Jesse Smollett either. History has also altered various times this documentary to suit the LGBTQEIEIO mafia. For starter, the show maintains the narrative of 21-year-old Andrew Shepard being a victim, and we know that's not true. Another example includes the fact that Ronald Reagan gave people AIDS. That's not true. Finally, the show takes time to acknowledge the Pulse nightclub shooting, but it refers to the reference to the shooter's connection to radical Islamic terrorism, instead of blaming a vague sense of hatred in the country. For a supposed documentary, there's a lot of facts they ignored because they can't. They'll get rolled. The final episode also has a reference to butt leg, highlighting increased visibility for the journey of LGBTQ people. Finally, there's a slam against Trump, rolling back, nothing. And then CNN was pushing it all over the place. It's gotten so bad, Bollywood has its first gay rom-com, which just astounded the shit out of me. I, I don't understand it. I don't get it, but they do. And then you have this virtue singling on TV. It's once a month we hear something like this. NBA legend Dwayne Wade here live talking about his daughter Zaya's courage coming out as transgender and his new documentary. We have that powerful message now from three-time NBA champion Dwayne Wade. He has a new documentary coming out about his life on and off the court. It's called D-Wade Life Unexpected. It offers a rare glimpse into his private life and the way he and his family, how they are supporting their daughter Zaya, who recently came out as transgender. We love the fact that she doesn't have to hide who she is. She seems wise beyond her 12 years, because when you hear more of that conversation in in the golf cart, and you said that she helped you and the family have a better understanding and helped you with this. How did how was she able to do that? Well, she is our leader. It was, just, it was a, a process for us to sit down with our daughter and find out who she is and what she likes and not put something on her because as, as parents, we put our hopes and we put our fears on our kids. Right. And with Zaya, we decided to, to listen to her and she's leading us along this, along this journey. You didn't have to put this in the documentary. Nope. Why did you and what was that family discussion to reveal this this yeah. way? And that's what we're trying to do. We're tr- we know it's other families out there that's dealing with their, their kid, finding themselves and learning who they are. And what is your advice to a parent who is struggling to accept their child for, for any reason? Yeah. And how do you protect her? Because I think some parents are, they, they want to accept and they, they're, they're understanding, but they're, as a parent, you want to protect your child. And you know yeah. as much support as you have received, there has been criticism as well. And for your, your daughter to even admit that. And your son, when that, that beautiful posting and saying, you know, referring to, to they. So how do you handle those people who are less than supportive? And But she's, she's known that for nine years, since she was three years old. She's known since she's, she was three. She's known since she was three years old. Virtual signaling is all the left has. As London Mayor Sadiq Khan calling on Londoners to address the horrible imbalance of male-to-female Wikipedia editors, trying to get fast food advertisers banned, doing the gray campaign where everybody was black and there were no white people. He's pretty fucking woke, and he confirmed that by celebrating LGBT History Month, which I didn't even know was a thing. Mayor of London, trans women are women, trans men are men. 
Non-binary people are non-binary. All gender identity are valid. LGBT History Month. Everybody on the planet, Londoners, don't worry about the stabbings or acid attack. All that matters is this. <laughs> that was fucking funny. <laughs> and then finally, and this just, I'm not reading it. I refuse to read it. I'm just going to read the headline, and then I'm going to scream, and we're going to go into everything is racist. CW is bringing up Woke Walker, Texas Ranger rebooted with a younger gay conservative character. You fucking motherfuckers! You do not fuck with Chuck Norris! Everything is racist! And of course, you know, look, the Academy had to get past, I think, some of its own xenophobia, its aversion to subtitles in order to prevail in this way. Um, mm -hmm. So it's kind of unfortunate, I think, that we have a president whose entire presidency is founded on xenophobia. And of course, his comments are not surprising coming from someone who likes to uh, dehumanize and demonize other cultures and people of color. And so uh, none of that is surprising. How about just even considering the fact that, you know, the film that was at the top of his head, Gone with the Wind, listen, I'm, I'm, fr I'm from Georgia, but come on yes. now, I mean, how many decades old, and let's all remember the well, plot, yeah, the I mean, plot of the movie? Well, that Slavery? whole thing in Gone with, the, Gone with the Wind and Sunset Boulevard, that all smacks of a dog whistle harking back to an earlier era of Hollywood greatness. And look, we can love Gone with the Wind and also acknowledge, um, you know, its romanticized view of the Old South, which many people rightly find problematic. So yeah. that's another sort of racist dog whistle as well. So, but I think it's just real laziness on his part. I mean, he is just someone who, um, it's very lazy, I think, uh, to say that you know, a lot of people say this, that there are no movies being made in the present today that are as good as the movies being, the classics that are made 50 or 60 years ago. And it's totally fine that uh, Trump is, you know, out of touch with popular culture. I, you know, he, he, sh he has or should have better things to do, like running the country. But, um, but he really should think twice about uh, speaking about things of which he is so woefully ignorant. Hmm. Justin Chang. Thank you. Yeah, the, let's bring back the good old days. Yeah, yeah. let's get Birth of a Nation back up in there because yeah. we don't have enough of that kind of kowtowing and cooning. Yeah. But what's interesting is that... why he's upset. I think that when, when he saw the name Parasite of the movie, he thought it was a Trump family film. Uh, <laughs> oh, actually, you know, there is zero chance that, I mean, too many subtitles, there's too much reading. That's, oh. what, they're reading. Right, right, that's yeah. what the guy who wrote Parasite, the, the writer and the director, yeah. said that he can't Nine read. Too much, that's the problem. Too much, too much reading. Too much. But I also, think, the, yeah. the aspect of, let's bring back Gone with the Wind. Yes. Yes. yes, why don't we bring back Mamie with a handkerchief on her head? Yes. Let's bring back the Civil War. Let's bring back Slaves. Well, why don't we do that? I don't know about no babies. <laughs> right? That's what that's what struck me. I mean, I know he was born in 1946 and Gone with the Wind, the movie came out in 1940, so he's six years old. What has always struck me was this Make America Great Again theme, oh, yeah. right? When was America great to him? 
Right. And it, it was great when Gone with the Wind came out <laughs> with all those caricatures. Right. Um, that, that, the, and stereotypes, stereotypes and racial tropes. Mm. Um, I, I thought what he said was really um, sort of instructive and reflective of what. But the movie, that, the movie that's mm. more to the point about his administration is The Godfather. Let's right. face it. Well, definitely. Well, yeah. Definitely. But, that except, is, but that's except where it's he an can. insult to The Godfather to compare him. You know, why don't you come to me first? <laughs> uh, you know, he can't even say it in Marlon Randall's shadow for that reason, but the, the kind of anarchic, chaotic, uh, fascist impulse, there's no question about that. Yeah. Where'd this come from? BuzzFeed. Trump criticized the Oscar for awarding Parasite Best Picture. What the hell was that all about? We've got enough problems in South Korea. So, we, he then said he liked Gone with the Wind. And TDS takes over. He wants slaves back. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. NFL suspending players for smoking weed goes up in smoke under the new CBA. Yeah. And you know why. Real people are saying it because African Americans are smoking it and they don't want to suspend them and they're getting called racist for doing it. But they're putting it under the guise of, well, it's legal in some states. Well, you know what? You're an athlete. Dipping. There was one party on my junior high football team, ninth grade. Half the team got shit canned because people did weed there. Sports have always had these rules. Then, of course, we got Pete Buttleg and Elizabeth Warren. Here you go. Trayvon Martin would have been 25 today. How many 25th birthdays have been stolen for us by white supremacy, gun violence, prejudice, and fear? One reply to him. If you're going to play the race card and race bait, then at least get the facts right. Trayvon was killed by Hispanic. Meanwhile, back black on black birthdays have been stolen all the time, and you don't care. Elizabeth Warren, my heart goes out to Sabine, whatever the fuck is mom, and Trayvon's family and friends, he should still be with us today. We need an end to gun violence and racism. We need to build a world where all our children, especially black boys, can grow up safe and free. Make it easy on yourself. Just say you're for anything that takes freedom from the American people and give the federal government power and control. And that's true. Here is our abortion soundbite we did not play last time. This is from 80. I really like her, but this show, it's bad. And all day, all they talked about was self-care. But it's not taking care of yourself to agree that you're ugly and you need to be fixed. Okay. Okay, so what is a moment of true self-care if you strip everything away here? What's an example? Well, I mean, if I'm being honest, like, the first thing that I think of is my abortion, you know? I mean, that was care. I had to, in the moment, evaluate what I wanted and take care of myself, and then all the women that were there that took care of me. Thanks for telling me. I mean, this is totally your call, but you could, you know, put that in the article. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not afraid to. It's just the truth. Well, then go do it. Okay. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Gabe. I actually feel like we really, like, worked it out together yeah. in a nice Let's way. Yeah, let's not stretch this out. Yeah. Really okay. ruin it. Okay, well, um, thank you so much. And um, this... Really awesome. Really, really, really great. That shows a hot mess. Pro-life media censored on Instagram as false information. 
Instagram announced in May of 2019 that it would be fact-checking and reducing distribution for what it considered to be disinformation. Since then, it seems to be targeted pro-life content. Brazilian third-party fact-checker Eos Feitos reviewed and labeled a story from pro-life news organization Life News as falso on February 14th. Instagram and sister company to Facebook took the rating, which was not in English, and censored Life News story, covering the image with a filter that users had to click through in order to see an unborn baby with Down syndrome or being discriminated against at an alarming rate. I had a soundbite, but it's too hard to play, of a poor kid being harassed, and they're calling that false. But when you say that, you know, Trump supporters of the devil, uh, that's not false. Pro-abortion advocates pounce on Ted Cruz's response to Alabama vasectomy bill. This is the stupidest fucking shit I ever heard, but here we go. Abortion proponents and social media are criticizing Ted Cruz for his response to an anti-pro-life message bill out of Alabama. But the whole pro-abortion side of the story is missing the point about the rights of the unborn. The story started last week when Alabama State Representative Rolanda Hollis introduced a bill to force men and the Yellowhammer State to have a vasectomy at their own expense. Under existing law, there are no restrictions on the reproductive rights of men, the bill synopsis read. This bill will require a man to undergo a vasectomy within one month of his 50th birthday or the birth of his third biological child. Yeah, there you go with your China fascism. Good for you, lefties. Whichever comes first. The bill seemed to be much more of a statement about abortion policy than in creating new law. In fact, Hollis told Alabama.com the legislation was put forward in response to state's ban on abortion. The vasectomy bill is to help with the reproductive system, and yes, it is a neutralized abortion ban bill. It always takes two to tango. We can't put all the responsibility on women. Men need to have responsibility also. In a tweet over the weekend, Cruz responded to the bill, tweeting, Yikes, a government big enough to give you everything is big enough to take everything, literally. Abortion proponents on Twitter pounced and went crazy. Ted thinks the government became too big when it tries to seize control of his body, wrote Nayrol, piece of shit, I'll icy hoag. Never mind that he's been a politician voting to do that to women for check notes ever. <clears throat> I never thought I'd say this, but I agree with Senator Cruz that the idea of a government attempting to control our most intimate body parts and reproductive rights is abhorrent, wrote Sarah Parcock. Oh, so tell me more about your position on government making reproductive decisions for women. They're not. They're telling you you can't kill a baby. Because after the second trimester, it's a baby, Moonbats. That awkward moment when Ted Cruz realizes the government has no business legislating reproductive health care, said Brianna Wu. After years of advocating for government control of citizens' reproductive choices, the senator is suddenly shocked by the idea, said Washington Post uh, book critic Ron Charles. What could have inspired such a stark reversal? But while mocking responses such as these may get some retweets and fill abortion advocates with a certain sense of satisfaction that comes from having the worldview validated, they, as well as the bill that precipitated his decision, failed to address the crux of the pro-life argument that abortion unjustly takes the life of a fucking child. The media lauded it. They thought it was good shit. Huffington Post... Uh, CNN, New York Times, they all ran with it. It is good shit. 
Good shit. Tebow tells Kansas pro lifers saving babies rates higher than winning the Super Bowl. It really does. It really does mean a lot more than winning a Super Bowl. One day when you look back and people are talking about you and they say, oh my gosh, what are you going to be known for? Are you going to, to say Super Bowl or are we saved a lot of babies? Then the best article I could have on this subject before we go into climate, which is just a hot mess today. Cry us a river, Teen Vogue. Meg laments the abortion, not a priority for young folks. I keep saying it. I'm not making it up. Young kids aren't there. The always trendy social engineers over at Teen Vogue are raising awareness for pro-choice cause this week, urging young people to get more hysterical about abortions than they currently are. The hard left kid fashion mag roll a poll on young voters to find out what issues concern them most about the upcoming election. The good news for Team Vold is the poll found that most folks are pro-choice, while the bad news is that abortion isn't a priority. The publication reported as the primaries get underway, young people are deciding which specific issues will drive them to the vote for one candidate or the other. Surprisingly enough, abortion may not be one of those priorities. Teen Vogue partner with a research and consultation from IPOS surveyed folks between the age of 18 and 34. If you're 34, why are you reading Teen Vogue? That's all I got to say. For their views on baby killing. Of course, the majority respondents said support federal allowing funding, federal funding to be used for abortion services, something currently prohibited under the Hyde Amendment. The poll also found that only a minority of respondents support restricting abortion based on gestational limits, which they clarified as most voters don't think abortion should be restricted by how far along a pregnancy is. That's bullshit. Go ahead. And we'll go ahead and clarify that it's pushing for late-term abortion, probably borderline on infant side. Though we should point out that this is just one poll, and abortion polls are often conflicting and even misleading. One Reese's Maris poll claimed that most Americans at least want restrictions or limits on late-term abortion, but then again, maybe young folks disproportionately agree with Governor Northam and Cuomo on killing full-term babies. Even so, young folks aren't as radicals, Teen Vogue. Publication laments that 2,206 respondents, only 20% ranked reproductive rights as a top priority. The outlet then went bullshit crazy and told them all they're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Here's your sign. Now, let's go to climate. Okay. Okay. How dare you? It's not all about energy. It's about raising awareness for climate change in schools and all over Charlotte. Because here's the thing. Changes can be made. This is the first step to radical action, and we need it to happen. How dare you? We will make sure they, that we put them against the wall. Yeah, you, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies is not enough. We need to eat the babies. How dare you? The U.S. and China, China being number one, China, U.S. number two right now, are the biggest carbon emitters. But we have to remember that the historic record for carbon emissions is held by the U.S. Throughout history, we have put more carbon into the atmosphere than any other country. And 
you have to realize that we're 4% of the population and we're responsible for somewhere between a quarter to a third of all global carbon emissions. Wow. Climate change doesn't have borders. Um, you know, if we're going to move forward and we're going to adapt to the challenges to come and those already underway through climate change, we have to do that together. So it makes me think about the choices I can make, the responsibility I have, and what we can do collectively to help take care of our planet. I edge on fear sometimes, but this has made me very hopeful. Hopeful uh, that there are people doing the right thing. There are parts yeah. of Africa, you were telling me, where plastic... Uh, bags have been banned, and you even get fined. So I yeah. feel like there are things we can do to clean this planet up, and I know people are doing them. We just have to start. We, we can do a lot better, and we need to. And it's the changing climate that's at the heart of the problem, according to scientists. 2019 was the hottest and the driest year in Australia's history. So we actually saw temperature records be broken all over the country. Joel Gurgis is a climate scientist at the Australian National University and is a lead author of an upcoming United Nations report on climate change. This is the type of summer you might not have expected till the middle of the century based on past projections. So I think this is really redefining what it means to actually be living through a period of rapid climate change. So you're saying you would have expected this kind of scenario that we saw this summer to happen in 2050? Yeah, potentially, middle of the century. Are you shocked? Of course I'm shocked. When it comes to climate change, is Australia a bellwether for the rest of the world? I think this summer has been a real wake-up call for most Australians. And myself as a, as a climate scientist, seeing the extreme level of heat and the bushfires and the drought conditions playing out so catastrophically has been, I think, a wake-up call to the world. We have been mugged by the reality of climate change in this summer. Malcolm Turnbull is a political conservative who served as Australia's Prime Minister up until August of 2018. This is climate change in the raw. This is what we have been told to expect for years. When you were Prime Minister, were you warned that the fires were getting worse? Well, of course. Everyone has known this. We've been warned by the climate scientists. Everyone has been aware of this, except for those who... Well, the climate change deniers are aware of it, but they choose to deny reality. It has been a challenging time. Turnbull was bounced out of office by the right wing of his own party, largely over his support for cutting carbon emissions. The right wing climate deniers treat an issue of science and physics and fact as though it was a question of ideology, and their conduct is not just idiotic, it is downright dangerous. Dangerous for us here in Australia and right around the world. You're talking about people in your own party. Of course I am, yeah, absolutely. Dangerous and idiotic. Well, of course it is dangerous and idiotic. Climate scientist Joel Gerges says the future of Australia hangs in the balance. Are the Australian people being betrayed by their politicians? At this moment, I think it is really reckless and potentially criminal, because we actually know enough about the science now. I think the science is crystal clear. The next president of the United States is going to have a lot of responsibilities, not only with the economy, with migration, but also with the climate crisis that we're facing here in the United States and all over our planet. So I'm going to bring up climate, because obviously you, Vanessa, are the first ever climate journalist to, um, to actually be a moderator. And we've taken note of that, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you. What does it mean to be a climate journalist for Noticias Telemundo? What are you, what are you doing? I mean, how, how, what do you see your mission as? 
over the past couple of years, I have found myself more and more covering the impacts of climate change. And if you think about it, minority communities here in the States, especially African-Americans and Latino, are disproportionately more affected by the impacts of climate change. So for me as a journalist, it's, it's not only my job, but it's my responsibility to communicate this message to the Latino community and to, and to tell the story of what is happening to our planet. We have to listen to the scientists. They have given us 10 years to turn around and make a huge impact in the, the way that we're living, in the way that we are consuming energy. So, so really in order to, to, to make it happen and to do what they are asking us to do, that is to reduce our, our, our fossil fuel, our CO2 emissions by half by 2030 and by zero by 2050, we really need to, to start right now. That's what this election is so important. Uh, Vice President Biden, I, what, what I asked him was what he was going to do to hold the executives of the fossil fuel companies accountable because we know that they knew for decades that they were causing irreversible damage to our planet and they didn't do anything about it. They just continue business as usual. So I think this question of accountability is something that many people want to know. What is the next president of the United States going to do to hold these companies accountable? Back in uh, 2006, 2007, Al, Al Gore became this sort of global Paul Revere and brought the climate issue forward. And we had the remarkable uh, outcome that in the 2008 election, both McCain and Obama both ran as climate champions. Uh, there was no, oh, it's a, it's a hoax, it's not real, uh, fixing it to socialism, none of that from the Republican Party. McCain ran as a climate hawk, as did Obama. Immediately after that, um, when Obama was elected, um, uh, you know, the uh, oil companies and other energy uh, companies poured hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, moving the Republican Party uh, into the, the denier camp, not the camp that says we've got a problem we have a difference about how to fix it, how much market solutions, how much government solutions, but into the complete denier camp, there is no problem. This is a hoax. And that cost us a decade. The most crucial decade in the history of human civilization and our planet was wiped out because of this um, uh, billionaire kind of buyout of the, of the conversation. And as a result, we have lost critical time. It it is the existential threat that humanity faces, global warming. If you're president, the first thing you do the first day is you rejoin the Paris Agreement. I'm going to say something that is really controversial in Washington, but I think I'm safe to say this here in Nevada. I believe in science. Joe said it right. This is an existential threat. This is a crisis, and a lot of our plans are very similar to get to carbon neutral. If we don't elect a president who actually believes in climate science now, we will never meet any of the other scientific or policy deadlines that we need to. During this week's contentious Democratic debate, all six candidates were able to agree that combating climate change is a top priority. But a new scorecard rating those very six Democrats paints a slightly different picture. According to the Center Action Fund, there are 10 critical actions to protect the climate. All of the candidates earned one point for wanting to end new fossil fuels, leasing new fossil fuel leasing on federal lands. But most of them scored poorly for not supporting things like a ban on fracking or ending fossil fuel exports. Only Bernie Sanders scored a perfect 10 out of 10. Uh, joining me here in Las Vegas is the chief political strategist from the Center for Biological Diversity Action Fund, Brett Hartle, and from Reno, climate journalist and editor-in-chief of Drilled News, Amy Westervelt. So, um, Brett, I do want to start with you. We're going to put that um, that scoreboard up on the screen right, right now. 10 out of 10 for Bernie Sanders, 1 out of 10 
for Michael Bloomberg, they all talk a, a big game on the climate. Are, are, are you basically saying that if it's not a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren who scored 8 out of 10, that we're going to be in trouble? Yes, um, we need the next president to take bold action on day one. As, as actually Senator Warren said, we need to follow the science. And the global consensus is that we have to slash emissions by 50 percent by 2030 if we have any chance of keeping uh, global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius. So what we need to see is executive action by the next president immediately, because frankly, the Senate is not likely to do anything with Mitch McConnell. And the president has actually extraordinary power if they are fully utilized to address the crisis. So what is your message to a voter out there who puts the environment as one of their top priorities? And right now there's a Pew poll that shows that for the first time ever, voters say that they're most concerned about the environment, the same number of voters for the environment as the economy. It splits down Democratic and Republicans, but that is a big number. What do you say to them? Who should they vote for if they are really concerned about turning things around immediately? That was PBS wailing about the climate crisis, GOP deniers, and touting global Paul Revere, Al Gore, Katie Turr frets Dems not far left on global warming, ABC sends reporter to Africa to lecture Americans on climate change, and CBS touts Australian climate alarmists trashing criminal deniers. Then there's Essie fucking Cup, who I used to like. Guys, a giant asteroid the size of Texas hurling toward the Earth. Impact is certain. Extinction guaranteed. You can save the planet by turning the thermostat at your office up one degree. Do you do it? Everybody in the world, I hate that one office worker who just doesn't want to fucking put some clothes on. Put some clothes on. Stop being a hoe bag. Then we have on CNN, the guy who tried to do a immigration thing. It was live police, but he turned it into terrible sob stories about people illegally jumping in the wind scoop on the front of fucking semis and riding in very cold because they illegally stowed aboard a vehicle and then they illegally went in the United States and we were all supposed to be upset about it and the show ended after three episodes because everybody dogged them. Bill Weir, listen to this crazy shit. If climate correspondent is with me and 10 billion that's a lot of zeros. That's a lot to you and me. It's a great cause. Right. What, what made him do this? Uh, pressure. Yeah. From his own employees and from the rest of the world and from consumers who are realizing that this is the biggest story in the world and yeah. we won't be ordering toothbrushes from China through Amazon unless we have a Goldilocks climate at the end of this uh, century. His, uh, it's interesting. There is a group called the Amazon Employees for Climate Justice and hundreds of them walked out uh, last fall on one of the climate strikes. And to get in front of that the day before, Bezos said, well, uh, we are going to adhere to the climate, climate, Paris Climate Accord goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a pittance compared to what this company really could do. Uh, just to put it in perspective, he's worth $130 billion. What he's promising is about less than 8%. That's the equivalent of a median American of his age giving about $14,000. Meanwhile, somebody like Bill Gates, who's number two on the list, mm-hmm. worth $30 billion less, has given $40 billion into causes like this, not just disease eradication, but new energy solutions. And that's the big question is it's very nebulous where, the, where will the money that's go. That's my next question. Yeah. Like what, where does $10 billion get you in this fight and, and what kind of impact would it have? Well, that's, I mean, there are plenty of NGOs out there planting trees and trying to get clean cook stoves for, for families in India. Mm-hmm. And they can use it all every cent they can get, absolutely. 
But planting trees is not going to get us out of this. Mm -hmm. It's all about getting off of carbon yesterday. And uh, many of his employees point out that Amazon Web Services, uh, their cloud computing, they work with fossil fuel industries to find new pockets of oil and gas faster at a time when science is saying we can't afford to burn the stuff we already know about. Mm -hmm. And that's not to mention all the ships and trucks and planes it takes to get our toothbrushes uh, onto our doorstep. So if he was able to harness the power of that co company, uh, Amazon is the only retail company that doesn't participate in what's called the Carbon Disclosure Project. Uh, and this is, this is you know, how you get A's, B's, and C's at restaurants. Sure, sure. They give these grades to companies based on how damage they're doing to the planet. And they can't even grade Amazon because they're not. They're not even playing ball. And they give A's to Walmart and to, and to Microsoft, again, Bill Gates' company, mm -hmm. which not only vows to be uh, carbon negative by 2030, but by 2050, they vow to remove all the carbon they've ever burned since 1975, since the company, okay. you know, because they're going to come up with machines to suck the stuff out of the sky, because that's the race. Stopping the stuff we're putting up there or pulling down what's already there. Mm -hmm. And a company like this, to whom much is given, much... Yeah, he's a fucking... It's never good enough. See, it's never enough for liberals. Never, 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 never. And our final story, we got some liberal shit, not going to play a bumper, but our final climate. Composting human bodies, fabulous option for eco-friendly burial. We covered again, but this is a huge thing, and this is in Canada. And Washington State is, you know, they approved it. So they're saying that's what you should do. So for our liberal shit, some quick hits. Uh, Steven Spielberg's daughter is a porn star now. Yeah. NBC medical drama microaggressions cause teens a tumor. That's pretty far fetched. Mm -hmm. Linda Tran, Amy Klobuchar. I know how you stop sexism on a campaign. Nominate a woman. Okay, everybody said that didn't work before. Some dickhead from Australia. He's a lefty, blue check the whole nine yard. Andrew P. Smith, dear all men, stop killing women and children. Stop it. Yours, Andrew. Everybody said, were we supposed to do that? Victoria's Secret sold for like a third of the cost because women want comfortable shit. The media got off on that because I guess, um, you know, wanting to look nice is bad or something. I don't know. Suffolk County to attempt ban to ban smoking in your own home. Yeah, here we go. The left. And one suburban county going too far trying to legislate what residents can or cannot do in privacy on their own home. Hoping to be most progressive county in the state, Suffolk County is proposing a law that will snuff out secondhand smoke in apartment complexes, condominiums, and multifamily dwellings. CBS2 Jennifer McLogan reported Wednesday smoking is already banned in many public places, and so let's do this and make it happen. Let me be clear, any legislation that there is a vote required that would have an impact on preventing the public or innocent people who have made a choice not to smoke from being exposed to smoke, I will support that, Suffolk legislator William Spencer said. He's a medical doctor, said secondhand smoke could kill people. Statistics show more than 3,000 non-smokers in New York die each year from heart disease. I don't know what that has to do with it, but yeah, that's that's what they're going to do. They're going to tell you what you can do in your house. PETA brought back stupid prank like this one or serious business. You remember the video of the pigeons we covered like a year ago? Yeah, it's back online and they lost their shit again. They just lost it. Then they went here. 
Oh my God in heaven, it's our lighter fare today. Coronavirus. The coronavirus is scary, it's spreading and it's scary. What nobody needs is extra insanity. In walks PETA. Carnivorous is an anagram of coronavirus. Coincident? We think not. With the smiley face. So what they're saying is because people eat meat, we got the coronavirus. Are you fucking shitting me? You're making joke jokes? You got jokes, huh? You think you got jokes? I mean, who the fuck does that? People are fucking dying. It's a no-shitter, man. A no-fucking-shitter. But it's PETA. They're fucking crazy. Huge article broke out this week. Not going to read it, but I tell you to look out, look it up. I was a holiday Hollywood assistant, and I got yelled at on a toilet. And they break down all these stories, these poor bastards getting treated like shit. Uh, I felt I was weak for not being able to stick it out. Hollywood preys on young people too afraid to say anything. There's a constant fear that if you make noise, they'll be barring from the industry for life. They know this, and they use it as their advantage. My boss told me she'd never give me a recommendation, and I should go back to school and learn how to conduct myself in an office setting. She also said that nobody had ever been fired from her desk who didn't come back to praise her for teaching them how to be professional. I'm happy to report that I am the first. Yes. That's some fucked up shit. These are the people telling you how to live, and they treat people like garbage. Is that a surprise? Probably not. Heather Lynn again is our lighter fare. Sorry, she keeps coming up my feed. I thought it was funny. And here it is. Hi, I'm Heather Lynn, and it's beach body season, so that means you want to look your physical best for all the water trash, bed bugs, and alcohol enemas that a Florida vacation has to offer. Let's turn that taco bod into a coffee-powered f- machine with a coffee protein shake. First, get your blender ready with two cups of ice. Now be sure to follow all safety precautions when dealing with blades and sharp instruments, because if you're anything like me, cutting a pizza turns into a fucking emergency. Hey Siri, call 911. Really? Again? Yes, again! Next up, for all you health-conscious people, we have one cup of cage-free, gluten-free, safe space, fair trade, low-glycemic, grass-fed, free Wi-Fi, non-GMO, almond titty milk. (laughs) But it's not keto. Next up, we have one banana. This is the best part of the video. Frank, how do you spell bananas? B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Frank's our hollerback girl. Get us hollerback ma'am. Next up, we have one cup of cold brew coffee. Mother fucking suck it, Mother Heather. What? Did you just say It's my safe word. Now we're adding one cup of what I know now to be hot coffee. Somebody was supposed to give me cold brewed coffee. Just blow off. Yeah, I've heard that before. Next up, we had one scoop of protein powder. You can use whatever flavor you like. This one's called unicorn juice. It's Fruit Loops. Now you're ready to blend this shit and butt that workout. Yeah. Well, this is in the lighter fare section, but it's not really lighter fare. Um, it's pretty serious shit. Iran shuts down cultural center and coronavirus. Uh, in this one, the new coronavirus has killed 2,345 people in China, which can't be true. 
There's a bunch in the U.S. There's 17 elsewhere, they say. Uh, South Korea had 433 overnight. Uh, Italy closes down. My wife's on an Italian site because she's Italian. Unbelievable. It's gone terrible there. It's way up because the people live so close and tight together. China deploys 40 incinerators. 500 people on a Princess Cruise have it. Zero Hedge censored for posting information about it because they're trying to control the narrative. And Zero Hedge is one of those conspiracy sites. This is a serious epidemic. It got out of control. Japan, I mean, it's everywhere. There's a bunch here. California, New York. I just wanted to cover it, not to be a fucking fear monger, but just to get the idea. Wash your fucking hands. Where I live is a huge fear, uh, flu outbreak. It's the less dangerous version. I've had the flu twice since this month. It wasn't bad. It was just stomach virus, but I've had it. So make sure if you're out in public, wipe down the thing, bring some latex gloves, don't touch the carts, handles, doors. If you're like me in a dipper, don't be putting your dip in. That's how I get it every time because I put a fucking dip in like a dumbass and I don't think about what I'm doing and make sure you're safe out there. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com. I did get an email the other day. It was a bunch of general stuff. So I explain it in the podcast. But if you give me direct email, direct questions, I'll nail it. It was just general stuff about why I do the podcast. So that's why I did it today. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and PocketCast. Make sure to check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. We're going to go with our next podcast on 1 March, Year of Our Lord 2020. The next actual day will be 19 years since Operation Anaconda. So I'll probably do a little segment on the book reading. I still keep that because it's hard to believe it's been 20 years since I uh, went to combat. Kind of odd. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. Take care of yourself out there. Stay warm if you're in the South because it's going to be cold, hot, cold, hot. And as stated, wash your hands. Be safe. As always, my friends, thank you for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.